Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behaviour and patterns of behaviour? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. Happy Friday, everybody. Whether you're listening live or later, you are listening to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, and I'm so thrilled that you decided to tune in. You might be a longtime listener, or maybe this is your first time with us. It's all about community, connections, courage, motivation, and inspiration so you can be informed and empowered. That's what I aim for, at least, every week when I do my show. And by the way, you might have noticed, we had a bit of a break last week. We had um, a little bit of a radio holiday, so that was pretty awesome. And hopefully you got to listen to some other shows as well. I had a lot of things going on. In fact, I'm super honored and excited because I actually won an award. Um, I won in the category of leadership and social impact in the Global Evolutionary Women's Awards. So that was a massive surprise and an honor. So I wanted to do a quick thank you to anyone who happened to vote for me. So thanks to those who voted for me and also shout out to my amazing clients and my amazing friends far and wide and all of you listening who are actually all collectively part of the impact that I'm aiming to have in the world. And I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, speaking of impact and thank you, thank you. Uh, thank you to those who joined us on election night. I know it feels like so long ago now. And you may be sick of talking about the election. I'm just going to mention it briefly because I had a blast, actually. I had a great time um, co-hosting the election night party, which was a webinar. We had almost 4,000 people tuning in over the four-hour period. I think we had about usually around 2,000 or so on at one time. Um, But people came and went, and it was a great night, and it was just a different way to um, watch the numbers roll in. So thanks to those who tuned in. I know some people were together with others, and they were tuning in, and maybe you were just at home by yourself with your laptop or your phone tuning in. So thank you for that. It was such an interesting time. Um, I I reflected on some of my political um, experiences in the past and tried to comment on what I thought was going to happen. And I got to say, you know, early on when I jumped on after having dinner with my family, I was on from about 8.30 
until I think it was 1030. And, you know, I'm pretty hopeful and I'm still pretty optimistic that New Zealand First will gain a lot more votes in the specials. Whether that translates into another seat is another thing. But I'm pretty confident that we will, or New Zealand First will, uh, because I voted for them, that's why I said we, um, will get some more votes in there. What I'm hoping, because they seem to be, I mean, honestly, for me, it's like much of a muchness, you know, in terms of who gets in. National is very similar in my view, in a lot of ways, um, in terms of the global agenda, in my view, to what labor was up to, but at least having a New Zealand first in there. And there are some good freedom advocates in the top eight that got in um, that will have at least someone, you know, asking some really important questions and hopefully getting some very um, truthful answers. Well, I'm hopeful. All right. I wanted to say, uh, I'm going to read out some things from our lovely listeners. A few weeks ago, we asked people to enter a draw to win a book um, and to give us their happiness hack. So thank you so much to those who wrote in. Oh, I don't have a name here, but someone said, happiness, happiness hack, smile at our fellow humans. What we reflect out is what we is reflected back at us. That is so true. And, you know, now more than ever, I feel like, again, I'm not going to talk a lot about the election, but post-election, there is still a lot of division. So as much as we can just, you know, smile and appreciate each other's differences, it's something I'm working on um, at all times. Thank you so much. I've got somebody else writing in here. I was scrolling through Facebook and up came the link for the replay of your interview with Bruce Lipton. How did I miss this the first time around? Great interview. I have always wanted to hear Bruce speak in New Zealand. Our son is a chiropractor. And as, as Bruce mentions, he teaches at the New Zealand Col Chiropractic College. So I had heard about Bruce. I know that he does public lectures at the college, but living in the South Island has meant that we have never got there. Uh, love your guests and also uh, your finishing up questions. Oh, great. Thank you for that. It's the four questions that I ask all my guests at the end. Uh, thank you for your positivity and tools for our, sorry, thank you for your positivity and tools for our positivity. Oh, thank you, Lindley, for writing in. That's very lovely for you to write in and say those things. By the way, Bruce Lipton is coming back to New Zealand. He actually comes to New Zealand, I'm pretty sure every year or so for a visit. But the lovely Jenny Kennedy, who is one of my guests today, has arranged for him to come and speak in Tauranga. So it is not the South Island, but it's a little bit closer um, in Tauranga in, I'm going to say March or April. I can't remember the date. Um, I'm actually going to be there. I'm going to be there in an MC capacity. And Jenny will be speaking uh, along with another amazing woman, Justine. And Bruce, of course, um, will be the main event. So it'll be incredible. So keep an eye out for that. I will keep you posted as the ticket sales become available. Another person writing in about happiness. Happiness. Um, love the show, Nat. Really appreciate your positivity and great comment about being discerning about all that we see and hear. Um, and she says she loves the song. Thank you, Anne, for writing in. And one more person here. Sue writes in, happiness hack is listening to music. John Denver's Sunshine on My Shoulders makes me happy. Thank you, Sue. I'm actually going to play that song. Probably not today. I'm going to play it next week. So um, shout out to you for next week. Another message that came in last week. Hey, Natalie, I'm wondering if you've had Austin Veda on your show. I think that's the name, Austin Veda. She's a Kiwi who studies water crystals and it uses and its uses for healing. I'm also wondering if you've heard of German new medicine. Can't seem to find any Kiwi experts on the subject, but I'm pretty sure there are Aussies out there. Okay, if anyone out there has heard of German new medicine, then definitely let me know and I can let Joe know. 
All right, here's who's coming up this uh, this week, well, today, on the Up Your Brave show in this order. First up, I'm going to have Jenny Kennedy. She is an intuitive healer and teacher on healing incurable cancer, that's in quotation marks, one woman's inspiring journey. Now, it is her journey, but there's lots of great messages and learnings that you can apply to your life and your own journey as well. After that, I'm talking to Aaron McLaughlin, and I actually got to meet Aaron in person last Sunday when he was up for a, um, he's a part of the Voices for Freedom and down in Christchurch, and he was up in Auckland, and I got to catch up with him and take a photo, which was so amazing. I always get so um, excited when I get to meet my guests in real life. <laughs> I also got to meet um, Donna Kate again who I um, also interviewed a few months back. So Aaron McLaughlin is a coach and celebrant, and we are talking about navigating psychological triggers. We will also be talking a little bit about the election. Um, then my final guest is Simone Denny. She's a practitioner and coach on finding freedom and purpose through IFS, which means internal family systems. So we've got a lovely lineup today, all about healing, triggers, and purpose. You're going to love that. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Reality Check Radio. And next, I'm going to be chatting with Jenny Kennedy, about her her story, Healing and Curable Cancer, One Woman's Inspiring Story. Jenny, it is so good to have you here. Welcome to the Up Your Brave show. Thanks very much, Nat. And I'm excited to be here and share my story with you and your listeners today. You know, it's great because uh, for those that you don't know Jenny, you know, Jenny and I have been friends, you know, business friends for many, many years. She's got such an inspiring story, which tragically I think is so relevant at the moment. So for those of you that don't know Jenny, Jenny Kennedy was diagnosed with incurable stage three ovarian cancer in 2012. Her story is truly inspiring. Determined to find a way to heal herself, she embarked on a journey within to find the answers. She let go of her mind and allowed her intuition to guide her back to a place of great health. By embracing her intuition, she not only overcame a challenging diagnosis, but also transformed her life into one of magic and miracles. As an intuitive healer and teacher, Jenny shares her profound experience and teaches Heal You, Six Steps to Healing, which are the same six steps that she uncovered in her remarkable journey. We're going to share them with you today. Her mission is to guide others on a path of self-discovery, helping them unlock their inner healing potential and manifest positive changes in their lives. Well, now is a great time for everybody, I think, to manifest positive changes. Um, Jenny, how did you get into this journey, obviously for your from your health, but tell us a little bit more about that. Um, well, I'm an intuitive healer, and what that encompasses is... Uh, teaching others to tap into their own intuition and you know because our intuition is the guide to our life really we all know what feels right and our intuition aligns us with what our soul's purpose in life so I was doing this work for about 10 years and then in 2012 December 2012 I had noticed just a bit of a lump in my lower abdomen, but I wasn't worried about it too much at all because, you know, I felt healthy and well and all the rest of it. 
And um, it wasn't till I made an appointment I went to my doctor and her reaction as soon as she was palpating my um, abdominal region that she just said, hang on a minute, rushed out of her room and said, I've got to get some wheels in motion. I was just sort of, you know, lying on the table wondering what was going on. She came back into the room and I said to her, could this be serious? And she looked at me and just nodded her head and said, yes, this could be serious. So this was kind of the first indication that was something was up. So by this stage, it was just a little lump in, in my lower abdomen. I was just thinking, oh, you know, it's just a, a cyst on my ovary or something like that. And um, so I did some tests and then, you know, she shared with me that I had incurable stage 3C ovarian cancer. So that means it had metastasized into lymph nodes and, you know, you have a flap over your stomach and it metastasized into that. So it was major surgery that I was in for and then they recommended uh, chemotherapy just to give me a few more months to live. And anybody who gets that diagnosis or anybody whose loved one gets that diagnosis, it's just complete and utter fear when you hear those words. So I was sitting with that fear from sun up to sundown for about 10 days. And then I woke really early one morning. And it was that time between deep sleep and waking where you're just coming into consciousness. And it was like a voice in my head said, you are healed. And I thought, this is really kind of weird. But my whole body felt that, like it was just palpable, the relief that I experienced in my body. And I had no idea with what was going on at that time. But that is, as you talked about, the six steps to healing, which I use the acronym HEAL-U. Mm -hmm. And that is that first step to have hope and turn that hope into belief. So that's what happened in my body in that moment, is it believed what that voice in my head said. So it wasn't till much later when I was you know, thinking, what, what was this voice in my head? But what I've come to understand is when we are facing a life and death situation, the um, intuitive part of the brain can override the logical thinking part of the brain. And this is what happened in that moment. So that intuitive part overrode my logical thinking, believing what the medical profession had said to me and had brought through, you know, that feeling, that knowing that I am healed. But, you know, it's not an easy feat. Every time I go to the medical people, the first thing they'd say to me, have no idea why. Now, you know, we can't hear you, heal you. And then they would, you know, go on to say what the treatment plan or wow. whatever was. So it was a big job to keep myself back into that place of believing. And this is where I aligned with that spiritual um, part of my believing in a higher power, uh, your guides and angels, you know, whatever someone's belief is. And when I'd go into the fear that the medical people were telling me, I'd just say, well, that's their fear, not my fear. And I would then ask the universe to send me signs. And this helped me to shift 
that fear more quickly. And the more I started to do it, the quicker I got at doing that. So that's working with my clients. That's the first thing we do, whatever they're facing, because it's not all people going with cancer. I work with, you know, business people. Um, it, it's turning that, getting it that hope and then turning it into belief. So that happened about 10 days after my diagnosis. So I thought to myself, okay, something inside me is telling me that I can heal this, but I had no idea what I was going to do. And what I came to discover was the universe has all the answers. So from that point on, what showed up in my life was an opportunity for healing and growth. And I had a friend come and visit me. She found out about my diagnosis. And I was made her a cup of tea. And she, we sat down and she said, oh, I know someone who's just been diagnosed with what you've been diagnosed. She's had her first chemo, but she's died. And, of course, you can imagine how I felt. My body straight away went into fear. And I said to her pretty sternly, actually, I don't need to hear that right now. But knowing that the universe or life is always supporting to us to heal, I thought to myself, right, from this point on, I'm only going to surround myself with people who will encourage me and support me. So that's my second step to healing, the E, encouragement mm. and support. I also thought with that, though, because you had said, you know, universe, please send me a sign. Well, it sent you a clear sign what path not to take with yeah. her being so blatant with that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and intuitively noticing, you know, the reaction from my body, too. Two other things I want to mention, Jenny. I know I'm interrupting your story, but um, no, okay. I, you know, we hear so much about people feeling for lumps in their arm, you know, the breast check and that and everything in their in their lymph nodes around the breast and in the armpits I've never really thought about feeling in the in the ovary area so interesting about that second thing was about triggers I had a guest on the other week talking about psychological triggers the word heal you know you said the medical staff kept saying to you we can't heal you you know but here's the treatment and it's wow I've had medical people in my life because I have quite a few that get very triggered by the word heal oh well, that's not going to heal you your essential oils don't heal and I'm like no the body is designed to heal itself the the oils just help the body to do what it's designed to do naturally oh they get so triggered by the word heal well my experience for me so they'd always say they can't cure me right and cure to me is just getting rid of the signs and symptoms whereas healing is yes. identifying with our spiritual selves because it's it's the spiritual self that's got out of alignment uh, and that's where dis-ease is created in the body so when we heal the spiritual self and I'll talk a bit more about what that is in a moment then the physical body just matches that. Uh, so I think it's quite a big distinction between healing and curing because yes. healing has got to come from within. Yeah, so that was my second step. And then I thought, okay, so what am I going to do now? So I went into meditation and just simply asking, okay, show me, what's my next step? What do I need to do? And in the meditation, I was guided to the tumour, and the tumour actually spoke to me. And it said to me, well, Jenny, you look good, and you feel good, 
but something isn't right within. So we're coming from the inside out to get your attention. So that was, you know, my understanding that my healing had, had to come from within. So that's my third step to healing, to become aware of your inner knowing. And I do that with a lot of my clients is, you know, to guide them into the body because the body is the barometer to the soul. And if we just listen to it, it has all the answers. So many of us, you know, just are living in our heads all the time. We know we're so, you know, doggone tired, but we keep pushing ourselves forward. Um, our lives are stressful. And if we just stop for a moment and dropped and listened to the body, then, you know, it, it would tell us what we're actually needing. And then we can get to that place of listening to the body before dis-ease, you know, develops in the body. So that's my third step to healing. The A is become aware of your inner knowing. So then I got that far and I thought, okay, so now what do I do? And um, I called up a friend who'd done a lot of the metaphysical training that I'd done. And I asked her just to sit with me. And we just put that intent out to be led to the root cause of what created the cancer. And between the two of us, we sort of, um, I suppose it's what we were intuitively guided with in the moment, took me through a meditation. And I was actually taken back to a memory. And when I uncovered this memory, it was like the attack was turned on. The emotion just came flooding out of me. But when I uncovered that memory, there was two distinct beliefs that I uncovered that had been kind of the informed my whole life. And that was, it must have been my fault and I'm not good enough. So I'd had a history of uh, emotional, physical and sexual abuse. And so unbeknownst to me, I defaulted into that, you know, I'm not good enough. I've got to prove myself. Um, and it must have been my fault. So I became a chronic people pleaser, a chronic high achiever, uh, burnt myself out and had absolutely no idea what I wanted. So part of that coping mechanism as a child also allowed my intuition to develop because it was much safer for me to be able to read other people's, you know, what was going on for them so that I could avert a disaster or avert violence or, you know, something like that in, in my sphere and my reality. So there was the good side to develop my intuition. But then the journey kind of began as I noticed in my life, oh my gosh, where am I saying yes when I should have say, said no? Where am I not even offering up my opinion about what I want to do because I had no idea what I want to do. Where am I keeping the peace for the sake of um, not wanting to upset other people? You know, all those sorts of questions started to come to mind. And when I became aware of it, what was the root cause, that was just a totally, you know, life-changing wake-up call in a way. I think for but some of our listeners, all... that will resonate as well, the people-pleasing. And if people haven't heard that term, it's very much a personal development, personal discovery term. But um, 
a lot of people will be resonating with that as well, Jenny, and maybe having some ahas. So thank you for bringing that up. If they too have gone through life thinking, oh, don't rock the boat, you know, uh, what was the thing? The apple cart, you know, don't tip the, over the apple cart or whatever. Um, all those phrases around keeping the peace, you know, don't ruffle their feathers. We have to walk on eggshells, anything like that, you know, where you have to suppress your own expression or your own um, opinions, it can it can result in in health problems, which, you know, every most people are realizing the connection between emotional um, health and physical, you know, how things show up in your physical body. Uh, so thank you for raising that. And I had a question as well. You mentioned you had burnout. Did that happen before or not uh, soon before the um, the cancer diagnosis? It, it did. I, I was in the um, corporate world. I was a legal executive and I, I just burnt out. And that, and that was because I couldn't say no. You know, I was just working so hard and kept getting – the better I did, the more I got type of thing. And that was about 10 years before my diagnosis. Right. Yeah. But there is actual science to, you know, back this up and uh, the work of Dr. Candice Pert. So she's a cellular biologist and she wrote the book Molecules of Emotion. And what she uncovered in her research that is that every time we have a suppressed emotion, we physically store that in our cells. So over time, mm -hmm. there is the propensity for dis-ease to develop and uh, where that is, you know, stored in that cell. And I thought, yeah, well, no wonder I got ovarian cancer because ovaries is where we create life from. And I didn't even know how to create my own life because I was too busy worrying about other people's life. So it made, you know, absolute uh, sense to me. And then the other science behind this that I uncovered is the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton. And he wrote, wrote the book, Biology of Belief. And it was the biggest aha moment when I read that he was in his laboratory looking at his Petri dish. And, and he's a cellular biologist. And what he noticed was that it is the perception of the environment that controls a cell. So perceptions in human terms is beliefs. So it's the beliefs that actually control ourselves. So the minute I had that epiphany or whatever it was where you are healed came to me, that was the minute my cells started to change to match that belief. But the trick is we've just got to keep ourselves in that place of believing it. So this is where science is now catching up with spirituality, what mm -hmm. you know people have known for thousands and thousands of years. So whatever you know any of your listeners are going through, if you can get to the the root cause, be led to the root cause of whatever that challenge is. Um, I had had a business, um, you know, high profile businessman, a couple of days ago that has got three companies and he just got a block and then when we uncovered that root cause of it, it just the whole you know the pennies dropped for him so you can use this these six steps to healing in any area of your life that's the exciting part of it jenny the one i missed i didn't write it down was the e what was that encouragement and support thank you 
Mm. Yeah. People that can believe in your vision, believe that you can create what it is that you want to create. And so that's coming to the fifth step to healing, which is the dash. And that is to surrender. So that's to surrender into what is, because a lot of people who get diagnosed, particularly with cancer, they think, oh, I've got to think positive. And that's not what, what it's about. Because when we think positive, we're suppressing what's really here. Mm-hmm. We want to actually surrender to any emotions that um, come in any moment. And when we surrender to those emotions and accept them, then we can move through them. And emotions are just um, energy in motion. But what happens, and that's what I talked about with Dr. Candice Pert, is when we suppress them. So if we try and be positive, then we're not going to heal from that. We need to welcome them, but to be able to move through them more easily. So it's to accept where you're at, and that's in um, our group. We have an online group coaching with people that are going through healing uh, challenges. And when we ask them to actually share their story, and they can find that quite painful, but it's very freeing in that to accept where you're at, and now we start to focus on healing. So that's why, you know, if anybody is going through a cancer journey, rather than, oh, no, I'm going to heal, come back to accepting it, um, embracing those emotions around it, because there's huge fear, terror for me. Um, when I got that diagnosis and it was accepting it that I could move through it and then face on the healing. So that's the dash for surrendering. Surrender to what is and surrender to your emotions. Mm. Is there a fine line between accepting what is and making what is your identity? Meaning I have, well, one person comes to mind, I'm sure there's more, who have been through a cancer journey and they it seems to become like they almost get not so much stuck in the story, but I feel like they're kind of recycling that story. So we don't want to be positive and just put a lid on it. We want to uh, accept what is, as you said, surrender and accept, uh, but not allow that to become who we are and all we talk about and what we're known for. What, what are your thoughts on that? Definitely, absolutely. And it's all a soul's journey as well. So if you have an inkling that you can heal or you're looking for something to heal, then that's your soul speaking to you. So there will people that will get a conventional diagnosis and just follow the conventional treatment, and that's their soul's journey. Mm -hmm. But if someone is listening to this and they're getting aha, maybe I can do that, then that's what you've got to listen to, that that's part of your soul's journey. And that's when you change from that's your story, but now bring me the hope and turn that hope into belief. So that's excellent because, and I know when I'd go up to get my chemotherapy, um, I would hear people stuck in their stories and I said I I can't be a part of this I've accepted where I'm at but my focus now is on healing not on that story yeah Mm. yeah and I have you know like many many stories and instances of where I was supported from the universe other realms you know whatever anyone's belief system is 
And it was, it, it sort of began when one day I had my chemotherapy because I really asked and prayed, please not, you know, I don't want to have any chemotherapy because I'd had major, major surgery. And, um, but I knew within me at that point in time, I couldn't do it without the chemo. So what I teach my clients to do is to the, the quickest path to get you out of fear, because when you've got the least amount of fear, then you can focus on your healing. So I thought, right, I can't do it without any chemo at this stage, but show me the signs when I've had enough. And it actually happened that I had a third of the chemo that they recommended to give me a few more months to live. Mm -hmm. And how that came about was, it was one morning I I woke up and I just thought, I've had enough. I'm, I'm done. I don't need any chemotherapy. But it's a big decision to make. And at that stage, we were living in the South Island and I had to travel to Christchurch for my chemotherapy. And we got there and I was sitting in the waiting room waiting to see my oncologist and then go and get my infusion. And I just said to my grandmother in spirit, who I was very, very close with, and I said, Nanny, show me that I've had enough. And straight away, I looked at the television playing in the corner of the uh, waiting room and it just had... Uh, healthy living right across that was the only words on the television at that point in time and it was some advertisement for for something I'm not sure what it was but Mm -hmm. and I thought wow that synchronicity okay that's my sign very loud and clear but I still didn't have the the courage to say no I don't want any chemo And I went in to see my oncologist and he said to me, your platelets just, you know, they're not recovering enough between your chemo sessions. We're going to have to really lower the dose this time. And I'm going, yay, okay, that's another sign. Don't have to have quite so much. And then I went in to get my infusion. And after five nurses had had some of them two, some of them more goes at trying to get a vein. Mm -hmm. Nobody could find a vein. Internally, I was kind of laughing to myself and going, yep, well, you're, you're really making it evident now, no more chemo. And I just said, no, I don't want any more chemo. And they all panicked and said, oh, we'll find another, you know, specialty nurse. I said, no, no, it's fine. I'm all good. Because I had built up enough faith in my signs mm-hmm. by that time. And, you know, I walked out of there without that, um, not having any more chemo. And I'd had a third of the amount that they'd recommended so that's just asking for the signs and taking notice of those signs as the universe is supporting you and backing yourself because which i imagine is hard and given different people's scenario they'll have a you know a partner or sister or someone saying no 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 no, you have to finish the course like this is ridiculous what are you thinking And you're just listening to yourself. And I can't help but draw parallels right now between, you know, what we all went through, even with with COVID and and vaccines or even things that we we hear on the news. Sometimes it's like, get what can you do to get out of fear? Because if you're in a state of fear, you're more stressed, your immunity goes down, your mental health and well-being goes down. So whatever. So for all the listeners, obviously, cancer is something that only some people will really 
be able to, thank goodness, relate to you on. But for others, we will be able to re- relate to this and the wisdom and the six steps on whatever we're navigating in our life. But the message I'm hearing loud and clear from you, Jenny, is whatever you can do to move away from that fear and tapping back in to listening to your soul's journey, listening to your own intuition. Mm. And and understanding that science that I spoke about before of Dr. Bruce Lipton, you know, when you have that belief and that thought, so realizing how powerful our thoughts are, they're like magnets. And so that's what I said, surrender to fear when we're going into the fear, but then focus on what you do want to create. Because when you're in fear, you're just focusing on what could be a possibility. But the magic and and the science, as I say, that backs it and focusing on what you do want. So it's, as we talked about before, going from that step of fear, acknowledging it, and then finding that path forward. And that brings me to my final step, which is the you, is to then unleash your plan. You know, you've recognized the fear, that's not what you want. What do you want? What am I going to create moving forward? And everybody's journey is is different because you've got to listen to your own intuition because it's whatever feels right for you is the right path. But for me, part of unleashing my plan was, so my diet, because a lot of people that get diagnosed, first thing they do is diet. I didn't change my diet at all because I knew it was the stress. And I'd eaten pretty clean you know, for most of my life. I still like chocolate and very, very occasionally a glass of wine, but I knew that what that hadn't caused the cancer. So my plan involved, as I said, surrounding myself with people who would believe in my goal, my aim, uh, Qigong, which is a wonderful way to shift stagnant energy, Um getting myself in nature, yoga, listening to music. I would dance, you know, in my uh, living room, which is all ways of what's known as lifting our vibration, making us feel good. And when we feel good, then the body's flooded with dopamine, oxytocin, which are all feel-good chemicals that heal without us actually having to do a thing. Now, at times I was extremely ill, so I would just visualize myself doing those because, you know, I could hardly move. And what they've understand that visualization is just as powerful as actually doing it. So, you know, whether you're a business person wanting to create something that's part of unleashing your plan, what feels right for you and not sticking to what you know, the the business people say you should do. Say for a marketing example, it has to align with your energy for it to be able to work. I agree. Rather than just saying saying what the experts say and and following that path, if it feels out of alignment, it feels wrong, that's listen to that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have a friend at the moment who has gone with her breast cancer, gone down the traditional medical route, I hear what you're saying about, you know, she was in so much pain and the recovery and some people do that path and it works for them. But after a year, it she's just, she's, she needed a break and she's going holistic and she started and she just was, she just did her um, Pangu Qigong training. She went with me to the EES energy room last week and, you know, I'm just hopeful. And I think what you just said about visualizing, if you can't do it, visualizing it and that has power as well. 
Um, thank you for sharing these six steps with us. I'm hoping people can relate to them and use them in their own lives, whatever they're navigating. Um, what else about your journey, Jenny? I mean, were you the, after you did that, how is your health now? Were you just totally fine afterwards or did you revert a little bit? Uh, no, I was actually really good. Um, I just knew I was healed. And we shift, We were living in the South Island and kind of when you get a wake-up call, you think, hmm, what do I really want to do with my life? And both my husband and I are beach people and, you know, love a warmer climate. So we've moved up to Mount Monganui, which we absolutely adore being here. And uh, I had to shift my, you know, change my medical team, obviously, and so I changed my GP, my oncologist, and my gynecologist. And I had decided not to have any more blood tests because they said that when it came back, the only thing they could do was give me more chemo. And I decided I didn't want any more chemo. And my, I went to my gynecologist and he said to me, we need to do some blood tests. And I said, oh. I thought it would have been in my notes. I don't want any more blood tests. And he said, no, 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 no. We need to get these blood tests done. I said, oh, I don't want any more blood tests done. Thank you. Uh, he said, no, I need to know where you're at. I need to get these blood tests done. Picked up the lab form, filled it out, plonked it on his desk and said, please go and get these lab te tests done. And I picked that up and I was fuming. I thought you were going to say you ripped it up. No, I didn't. And, and that's, you know, and a very important thing to actually say, uh, Nat, because I sat with that fuming for a couple of days and they thought, well, I'm going to show him. I'm off to the lab and I'm going to get these blood tests done and say that, you know, show him that I'm fine. And away I went and I never really gave it much more thought. And then 10 days later, my GP, so she was a new GP. I'd never seen her before. And she rang me and she said, has anybody given you your blood results back? And I said, no. And she said, oh, and then there was silence. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what's happened? And she said, oh, I'm so sorry, but your cancer markers have shot right back up. You'll have to go to your oncologist and start chemo again. And then she popped the phone down and I was left. I was actually doing my GST at the time and I was oh, left all double with this. Yeah. <laughs> and um and then five minutes later the phone rang again and she must have thought about it and she said, Look, I'm here for you if you'd like to talk. And I said, oh, Yes, please, can I make an appointment to come and see you? And I went to see her and I was blown away because I, you know, how you've got to put your occupation down and I put intuitive healer. And she said to me, I see what you do. Why do you think this has happened? And I said to her, because I haven't finished my healing yet. And she said, yes, exactly. I, I was blown in that way that a, just a GP would say this. And um, so I went back to see my oncologist and he said, we want to start chemo straight away. And I said to him, give me three months and I'll be back. So away I went and I did more work on myself because, as you said, I could have gone out of that room, ripped it up, and not done anymore but from my history of you know abuse when no didn't be no mm -hmm. life had given me another lesson of 
that triggered me. Mm-hmm. And I stuffed those emotions, got angry mm-hmm. and then, you know, rebellious, I suppose, rather than saying, no, I could have just said, no, I'm not doing that and walked out. And of course, it wouldn't affect me. But I allowed that anger to be triggered and I stuffed that down. So I did some more healing around that. Three months later, I went back and um, cancer markers had dropped right back down again. And they said to me, well, we don't know how this happens, but, you know, good luck. That's great. Sometimes it does happen. But I then knew why the universe had brought that to me because I now had medical evidence of what releasing suppressed emotion how that shows up in your cancer markers in terms of your blood test results yes yeah mm. yeah blood test so that was a very very valuable lesson to learn and then so when you said to him you know I'll be back in 3 months did you really like dial it up in terms of the healing in terms of the qigong or visualization and and whatever else you were doing did you really just amplify that or did you just stick with what you were already doing no i didn't it was more the emotional release work so i did more work around you know setting my boundaries mm-hmm. and not giving my power away because you know for from many abuse survivors that's what they do is give the well they had no choice at that you know time of abuse but you give your power away. So, and being a doctor, because so many of us do give our power away to believing mm-hmm. what the doctor says. And I may, gave my power to, you know, here's someone on authority that no doesn't mean no. So it's when I did that inner emotional work around that, that shift the uh, cancer markers. So it wasn't necessarily the Qigong. And, and the emotional work, it is deep diving work. You know, they call it work. It, it is work, but you feel so good and so much lighter. Afterwards. Did you have someone do that with you? Because some people will be listening, and I agree, going, I, you know, I want to do deep work. How do I do it? Like, do you, don't you need somebody to facilitate, meaning ask you questions, or can you just do it yourself? Either Well, either. I, I had a lot of knowledge anyway, so I knew what I was looking, and in meditation I could do it. But yes, definitely. to get. And sometimes I would go and get support if I knew, because there's so much healing and someone just witnessing those unhealed parts mm-hmm. of you, that that's where the healing happens, just in the witnessing. So yes, I would go and see uh, someone, but that's you know, what I now do professionally, both on my one-on-one and, and my group coaching work for people is to support them in that and to actually, to find, you know, because if, if it's all new to you, you don't really know how to even begin. And when we get awareness to what's actually going on with us, where those beliefs are that aren't serving us any longer, we're 90% there when we have those awarenesses. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. It is quite a journey and it's very cool that you now have turned around and you're helping so many, not just people with cancer, but people that are ready to heal because you do have to be ready, right? Because some people just aren't ready to heal, um, yes. to do the work because it is it can be quite emotional and yes. uncomfortable. Yes. You do have to be ready. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Jenny, I'd love to ask you about upping your brave. What is one thing you've done in the last year where you've truly upped your brave? Well, I had an intuitive hunch and I thought I was way, way out of my league, but I acted 
on that intuitive hunt and you're part of that where I wanted to get the wonderful Dr. Bruce Lipton because I so admire his work and I reached out to you and synchronistically it all fell into place and uh, he is actually coming to Tauranga to speak and I will be sharing the stage with him, uh, sharing my story as well. So it was that little intuitive hunch and which is your soul speaking to you and then all those negative thoughts, oh, no, there's no way, you know, he would do that. And who are you to, you know, do that? So that's where I really had to up my brave and let go of all of those fears. So that's very exciting. That's happening next April 27th. So this is so Bruce Lipton, who you've already mentioned, who was also a previous guest on the Up Your Brave show. He came to New Zealand last year. I think he comes every year. But mm. you had this idea of make, creating an event in Tauranga. Not just everyone has to go to Auckland. Is that the idea? It's well, in Tauranga. It, 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 yes, it is in Tauranga. It's, it wasn't even like that. Like it wasn't formulated in my mind like that. But it was just a knowing that I need or it would be so wonderful for people to hear this work. Mm -hmm. And that's where it started from. And then it just so unfolded, yeah, you know, because I suppose that knowing that this is really important work. And, you know, already we've got medical people lining up to buy tickets. They're not live yet, but once they <laughs> get live, because the door's been open for them to see things in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And especially with the NZD SOS conference that happened a few uh, weeks back, um, people are more open to holistic health and healing. So I'm thrilled that you'll be able to share your story and also bring Bruce back to us. So thank you so much for organizing. Um, so you did up your brave there. What about the bucket list? One thing you would love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with? Um, I would love to get a heart-centered publisher to get my story into book format. Mm. So if anyone, anyone knows somebody. <laughs> if anybody knows somebody, I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. Perfect. Sounds good. Heart-centered publisher. Amazing. Yeah. And how can they get in touch with you? What's coming up for you in the next six months? And how can we connect with you online? Um, well, my website is www.jennykennedy.co.nz. So every um, month, uh, I have a friend that I co-facilitate and she healed very aggressive colon cancer without chemotherapy. So we have kind of different strengths. So we co-facilitate together. So we do, it's called Group Conversations for Inner Wellness, which is an online low price point, $29 uh, every month. So you can see that on my website where I have a four-week online course beginning the 7th of November that's $99, that's healing the chakras. So it's understanding chakras, and then we'll be doing the healing around those. And then we, Justine Laidlaw, my friend, and I do six-week group coaching, healing from within, and our next group coaching starts on 3rd of November. So that's all on my website where people can see that. That is so and good because... Yeah, I love that because some a lot of people listening, and especially if they've listened to my show for a while, I do talk about holistic health quite a lot. 
but they it's kind of like where to from here. And so this is great. So there's a few things happening in November. It's not like a six month commitment. It's a six week thing. You can just get on board and get yourself into some good practices and healing um, with some amazing support. That sounds so good, Jenny. What were you going to say? Um, what, what I was going to say is that the healing from within, it's like being all together and supporting one another. The people that go for it through our course, like some of them have become, you know, lifelong friends and that a lot of the healing happens in the support with that. And like we had in the last week, we've had four women with stage four cancer that have now have no evidence of disease. And I'm certainly not going to take the, you know, the kudos for that because the healing is, comes from within you know we can open the door for the healing but you've got a each individual has to do it for themselves do you have men that do it as well we have a few but not so many i'm just asking on behalf of any men listening that are thinking that they might want to join but they just don't want to be the only guy (laughs) Yeah, the, the the men will go to my friend Justine. So she does a 10-week online course, uh, Radical Remission, Amazing. which is the research work by Dr. Kelly Turner, if anybody's listening. Wonderful, wonderful work. And uh, more men sign up for that, but not so much for the group coaching. Okay. Men seem to come to me more individually. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I'm just asking, just in case someone was wondering. Yeah. Uh, Jenny, before we wrap things up, what else would you love to share with our listeners today? Well, number one, that they are way more powerful than what they believe. And, you know, listening to that story of, um, you know, the science behind what we believe. So whatever it is in your life that your inner knowing has a inkling that that's what you create, Know that the universe is there to support you, but remember you've got to ask. So, for example, there's no way do I ever have an inkling to be a racing car driver, but I certainly have an inkling that I want to help, you know, share this, for you know, with other people. So then if that's your inkling, whatever that is, even though you believe that you're not ready or you can't do it, turn that around to, okay, show me how I can do this. And then the answers and the gems will come to you. So good. What a great note to finish on. Thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Nat. It's been wonderful talking to you today. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We've been talking to Jenny Kennedy, Healing and Curable Cancer, One Woman's Inspiring Story. Thank you so much for listening. Let us know what you re- what resonated with you. And you can send us a text to 2057 or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. It's always so inspiring talking to people that have been through a massive health journey and come out the other side. And I'm hoping that you could glean some gold for yourself, some inspiration or some messages or maybe some reminders in terms of your own, um, maybe your own health journey, but whatever it is that you are persevering or navigating through at the moment in your life. Definitely let us know what resonated for you in this talk where where Jenny and I talked about science and spirituality. She mentioned healing from within, tapping into your own intuition, turning your hope into belief, not owning the fear, and asking the universe to send you a sign. So much wisdom there. And of course, you can get in touch with Jenny, jennykennedy.co.nz. 
The event that she's doing with Bruce Lipton coming up, it's actually April 27th. It's a Saturday. Uh, I think they've already had to get a bigger venue because the response so far has been so positive, which is not surprising. So this is the type of event that people will fly and drive to. So it's obviously it's not just for people who live in Jenny's local area. In Tauranga, it is something that people will make. It's a destination. Um, and it will also be such a great opportunity of a coming together in real life of like-minded people, people that are open to and into holistic health and healing and beyond. So um, definitely pop that date in your calendar. Save the date, April 27. I will see you there. I'm excited to be part of this. Um, and thank you to Jenny for making it happen. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you like this interview, sometimes I do. If you like this, you'll also like that. If you like this interview, <laughs> you'll also enjoy my interviews with Kim Knight, uh, also Carrie Dell, uh, Amy McCauley, and also, obviously, Bruce Lipton. Those are just some of the health and wellness-related interviews that I've done. You can simply go to the replays page. You can just type in the name um, Kim Knight or Carrie Dell with a K-E-R-R-Y. And have a look. Otherwise, you can also search by category. So you could look at health and wellness on the app as well. So many options. I know. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio. And I'm your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh. Next, I'm going to be chatting with Aaron McLaughlin on the topic of navigating the psychological triggers. Ooh, welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you very much, Natalie. So good to see you here, all the way from Christchurch. <laughs> For those of you that don't know Aaron, Aaron McLaughlin has been coaching people since 1996. I think I came to New Zealand in, back in 1996 or seven. And for the last five years, he has also been officiating funerals as a celebrant. Trained in clinical hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming, NLP, Aaron has worked with clients with a variety, a broad range of goals and challenges. His tagline, if you can put your dream or challenge into words, then I can help you with it. Author of three books, trainer of health professionals in New Zealand and Australia. He has also been the past president of both the New Zealand Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and the New Zealand NLP Association. Aaron received his black belt in karate at the age of 19, has worked as a professional photographer, and has played the violin for most of his life. Aaron has walked the boards in theater, worked as a medical clown doctor in Christchurch Hospital and rest homes, and on occasion has generated laughter and bombed uh, as a stand-up comedian. He was also a presenter for the Do or Die TV series, coaching families with major life challenges, volunteering for community groups such as Voices for Freedom, running Courageous Conversation workshops, and pre-COVID, hosting a radio show on Christchurch Plains FM about sleep have kept Aaron busy. Aaron's grounding over the last 33 years is his daily practice of transcendental meditation. What an eclectic background. Welcome. I'm so excited to hear more about that. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, it's um. If you, you those of you that can't see us, we are very branded with our Reality Check Radio. I've got my Reality Check Radio background. Aaron's wearing his Reality Check Radio T-shirt, and we are good to go. Tell us a little bit more about your backstory. How did you get into this area, and why did you choose this topic, psycholo navigating the psychological triggers? So I guess that where I start with it is back in, 
was about 18, 17, 18 years old, and I was working, living in Auckland, working for a friend of my father's who was doing landscaping, and I was weed spraying a car park midsummer. I had my shorts on, I was wearing a leaking copper pump, and I didn't know at the time I was spraying paraquat. And so I got very sick. And that lasted for 15 years, really. But I didn't know I had paraquat poisoning for six. And on the verge of kind of leaving this mortal coil, as they say, um, dad, I had to live with my father. I couldn't work anymore um, because uh, I was technically termed munted. <laughs> I couldn't function at all. Um, and dad came home one day and told me about someone who told him about someone. And we went and met this guy called Matt Tizard, who at the time had been working with a group of firemen who had gone through what was known as the ICI fire in South Auckland. And he was helping them to detox using unusual techniques, um, some of them based in rife technology and using decompression cha chambers, intravenous vitamin C and these sorts of things. And he found after six years that I had paraquat poisoning. I was at the point of dying and his machinery is so subtle and it didn't register my organs. That's how far gone I was. Going, uh, I was. And I have to say that it was probably about a year or two earlier than that, that my father came home once again. It would be a year a year earlier that dad um, connected me with transcendental meditation. And that was the one thing that kept me um, above, what would you call it, drowning level, as a, in a sense. What was happening internally was paraquat is a herbicide, um, and it's a very oily herbicide created by Monsanto back in the times, but it was actually used um in vietnam war as a defoliant and so it's extremely toxic and it wraps itself like an oily seal around your cells so they just stop being able to do what they can do and i had no idea that that was happening until i met tizard um and we went through a very long five days of decompression chambers with oxygen, um, intravenous oxygen, breathing higher levels of oxygen. And this stuff just started pouring out of my system. It was like coming out of my skin. I remember going into a, a sauna with my father. He said, let's go to the sauna to help you out anyway. And he had to, he started moving away. And I said, what's happening? He says, you absolutely stink. And look what's coming out of your skin. And it was literally this ooze coming out of my skin. It was just revolting. So I thought having paraquat was bad enough. The detox was a hundred times worse. So we, you know, that went for about 18 months. During that time, I went through um, deep depression, um, suicidal ideation, all sorts of manifestations of a detox process. Um, and I was sitting with Matt one day and, and it was late in the day. And at the time, Auckland is extremely toxic because of South Auckland um, and all of the um, horticultural work that goes on there. Anyway, so he had been working with 40 people that day. I was the last person. He plugs me into this machinery to find out what's going on. He says, okay, well, you've got Roundup. And he does this process. I said, listen, mate, I'm feeling so depressed. And he does this little technique with me that I now know, well, found out months later was called um, parts integration in neurolinguistic programming, a very, very powerful um, process. And he did that for 10 minutes. And while he was doing it, there's a little process where you're anchoring the person you're working with. He fell asleep. <laughs> so funny. 
but as he he fell asleep working because he had his hands on my on my knees it, was, it, it you know it's, it, it's all appropriate and pr the process is really amazing because he was so tired or because he was, he was so working? tired okay. he was working he like he at the time he was in his 60s maybe maybe early 70s he was seeing minimum 40 people a day because Auckland's so toxic and yeah. And it's the southwest wind bringing the dried horticultural poisons from um, the Bombay Hills and just mm -hmm. spreading them across Auckland. That's literally what's happened. And then you've got Roundup just being used by every other person every other day. And so, so he just fell asleep. So I woke him up because the depression popped. It just went. It just disappeared completely in 10 minutes. And I, I shook him and I said, Matt, what was this? What did you do? He says, oh, I did this little course over the weekend. <laughs> I said, you did what? And I said, so I found out who it was. And it was a guy named, um, oh, gosh, Merv Holster. Um, he's passed on now, passed on about 15 years ago. Anyway, so he is a clinical hypnotherapist, and he taught me everything. He got me started, and that's how I got going. And the tools in clinical hypnosis married with neuro-linguistic programming, which is a pri primarily a modeling tool, not a therapy tool. Let's say modeling tool, meaning modeling peak experience process. That was the thing that just got me so fascinated. And, um, and it's kind of been, that's where my focus has been ever since really. And, it, and when everything was getting really challenging with the detox, that's what pulled me through um, and kept me going. So that's how I, gotta, I got into it. I've got to commend your dad as well for being so open to that long-term journey of that detox, you know, 18 yeah. months detoxing. I mean, a lot of people would be like, it's not working, you know, or you're worse now than you were before because they don't understand how detox works. Yeah, well, dad was, dad's fascinating. I mean, the poor, poor bugger, he's got dementia now. He's up in Northland and um, I, I've been going up over the last three months to just see how he's going he's but he's a happily demented guy <laughs> which is really a positive thing um but he was one of the first people to be taught transcendental meditation by um by one of the first teachers that came back from working with maharishi mahesh yogi way back in the early days back in the 70s and dad was one of the first people to be taught and he did it for two or three years and then he just stopped doing it and he came home one day having been reminded and he said, oh, mate, you should you should do this. So drag me along. And that just I just transcended immediately. As soon as I, I got the process, as soon as the initiation process went through, I was sitting in the room on my own and I just popped. I just went so deep and I've never had a problem meditating ever since. It was just almost like I was built for it. And then learning, understanding hypnosis, I realized the connection between TM, most meditation and how it's just a more artfully vague way of doing a kind of deep trance process um and yeah so i got talking length about that is that yeah. is the tm as you call it the transcendental meditation is that something you need to go and do with yes. others or once you train you can do it on your own in your oh no 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 house? you do it you do it on your own once you've like you have what's called initiation which sounds like a bloody cult but it's not <laughs> it's it's basically you 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 meet your teacher in a group situation and then you have a one-on-one -on -one where they pass you the the mantra um and the mantra is just a meaningless word that gives you access to transcendence rather than externalized kind of distraction and for me um it worked immediately 
and but I was right for it. I was in a pretty shocking state. So, um, yeah, did that answer the question? So, yeah, yes, from that it, point well, well, on, it's well, 20 what minutes. What a huge journey you've had. You've had a massive yeah. journey through that that health journey, which has led you to where you are today. Also, all the other interesting things you do with the drama and the mm. music. Um, but let's talk about the topic, the navigating the psychological triggers. Yeah. What guidance, you know, with all the work that you've done over the years and knowing where Kiwis are at right now mm-hmm. and with everything we've been through, particularly the last three years, but even in the lead up to that, what are some of the triggers that uh, people are experiencing and what can we do about that? Well, I'll give you an example. I had an email sent to me just the other day and it was from a client who said, you know, um, the she, she was listening to the radio and there was the voice of the ex-prime minister who just immediately triggered her into a whole state of um, just such a myriad of emotions, anger, frustration, fear, um, depression, you know, all these different things and anxiety based on all of those experiences that had occurred over the last three years during that person's um, uh place in in the world (laughs) world, you know the name who won't be mentioned but fundamentally you know that was an example of what and that's kind of what stimulated me to get in touch which was well you know and and running groups I run a courageous conversations group have done for 18 months every week and this is in early days this was constantly coming up constantly coming up and when we when we're running groups, when we're running the workshops, when we're doing these things, it's just constantly coming up. People, you know, when we went and saw um, the River of Freedom, you know, as soon as her, yeah. you know, Jacinda came up, everyone's going, oh. And there were some people kept felt violently ill. Now, I'm not going to say that that's because of the person that they're responding to. It's the person's inner experience mm-hmm. as a triggered response to that. Mm-hmm. Now, the discussions we have around that is that the, just looking at my notes here, because I wanted to make sure I got a few of these right. The first thing about a trigger that's really important is a reframe. And NLP or neuro linguistic programming, you know, is, is useful in this frame is that it, the reframe is, well, thank goodness we are getting this trigger because it's a sign that we're functioning properly. It's a sign that we're connected to what is right for us. It's a sign that we are still viscerally connected to our heart, our gut, um, a sense of right action, maybe, um, uh, natural law, even if you like, not in the, yeah, in the, in the grounded, in the earth sort of sense. And so when we have been through a significant event like we have collectively as, you know, in the, in the realm of, making our own decisions with respect to medical interventions, then I've been very artfully vague around how I go about this. Oh, you can say anything on our show. Don't worry about it. We just try not to. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just we made our decisions to not get the jab. And fundamentally that over a number of years meant that we were ostracized. We were, um, there was a form of apartheid and there were vicious, um, discussions out there around what should be done about it mm-hmm. um even from our now prime minister and and you know other other members of of um both political parties actually all of the political parties to be fair and so the the uh the thing that we still are able to do is go no 
which is really fundamentally a yes to what we know what is right for us. So we're saying no, you know, stop with this talk, stop with telling us what we should do. What are we really doing? We're saying, yes, I know what's right for me. I know what feels that I feels right to do, and this is what I need to do about that. And so that's a reframe that is really important in this situation. And also, secondly, it's a there's a there's two psychological processes in, in that are very, very um powerful in our lives. And one is an away from um, momentum and one is the towards momentum. What I'm noticing with um, uh, a lot of discussion um, that's been going on pre and post election is this whole thing around um, who, how we were motivated to to uh, vote, for mm-hmm. example. And most of the motivation I had noticed um, pre election was and away from. I don't want this to happen anymore. I don't want this to happen anymore. The challenge with that is, is that there's no outcome direction. There's no sense of what I, what do I want as an outcome. And when we switch the away from to a towards, we've, we're very much making a statement to ourselves of what do I want? One of the most primary queries we have when we sit down with a in a coaching situation is well and it's it's actually really good when we get lost in conversation we go wait a minute let's stop are we on track what do we want mm-hmm. you know and keep coming and that's your towards because most people when you sit you'll know this natalie when you sit down with someone coaching they can spend half an hour telling you what they don't want they'll spend an hour telling you what they don't want you know and I, I agree. I was going to say the same thing in because I mm. in the, I'm more in the entrepreneurial business space, but the same mm. thing. But often it's a it's a kind of a backup option. It's like if they don't know what their goals are or their vision for the future mm. or whatever, we go. They're like, I honestly, I'm so overwhelmed. I have no idea. Okay, no problem. Tell me what you don't want. You know, and that mm. it's kind mm. of a yeah. starting point to get the ball rolling. That is easier for people, which is kind of sad, mm. but it does it does move them towards what they do want and. Um, and that's important. Mm-hmm. For, do you, you know, that's important for people to, in order to move forward, to know what they do want. So you were just saying that at the end of the election, a lot of people were kind of motivated or in, uh, by the fact that they didn't want a certain party or certain policies coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what they were doing was they, you know, they they were repelled by certain policies. They're repelled by certain mechanisms of the state, or whatever you want to call it, and potentially even this this um, totalitarianism sort of that seems to be on the cards out there. You know, certainly at a global level. And and yet, I think what we struggle with, and I'll, I'll own this personally myself, is we kind of struggle with, well, what do I actually want if I don't have those things? What is a a free society. What does that mean? Like, how do I, how do I run that even internally? You know, as someone who's been working in coaching for, for what feels like for my life and also gone through so much of um, self-processing before I got into the coaching because of the illness is, well, you know, what, what is, what is my response? Is my response actually a free response or is it actually part of the cultural program response of how I should respond in this kind of situation. 
And then the question comes, well, if I negate all that and I say, well, that's just culture, that's just, then I've got to actually ask myself, well, actually, what do I want? And secondly, how will I know? How will I even be able to identify with having it? You know, one of the things we, I work a lot with um, illness. You know, a lot of people have, um, you know, get a lot of people at the end of they've tried everything and then they mm. suddenly realize well and maybe i need to look at the psychology of this or the emotional states you know and you know one of the questions in in um in the coaching is well what will you want uh, sorry what do you want and if you would imagine how will you know you're experiencing what you want you know, now if we're spending all of our time not thinking of the black cat, you know, the away from psychology, you know, don't think of this form of society, don't think of that, don't do this and that, you know, you're still holding those paradigms in your head to know what you're talking about. And and so it becomes quite difficult to, well, what do I want instead? You know, what and how will I know? How will I recognize that thing when I'm there, you know? So we, it's interesting about the triggers. You started off talking about really what I'm going to call a voice-based trigger. So it's yeah. even just hearing, yep. hearing. So even for some people, it might be a song that comes on the radio. It really, you know, sometimes yeah. it triggers amazing memories and sometimes horrible memories. Same thing. You hear someone's specific voice. Hopefully when people hear my voice, it triggers a good reaction, but not, not for everyone. And I'm okay yeah. with that. What yeah. are some of the other triggers that a lot of people are experiencing these days? Well, the second one um, is is a visual trigger, of course. Um, the visual trigger is we see um, a person or a thing and we're immediately uh, triggered into, because the brain is constantly going, how do I know this? It's constantly going, well, how do I recognize? It's looking for news, mm -hmm. always looking for news, always looking for new stuff. It looks for difference. That's what it's looking for all the time. It, it's curious. It's insatiably curious. And so it sees this thing and it goes, well, what am I, if we were to slow mo this down to a million times slow mo, the subconscious is going, oh, I recognize that. Now, what is that? And it goes into the sub, goes, oh, oh my God, you know, this is that thing when. And then suddenly, before we know it, we're running a triggered memory, kind of like a bunch of vignettes, you know, tiny little magic moves <laughs> that roll in the back of the room. And next minute, our gut wants to surge or our heart skips a beat. And then we'll get maybe a narrative that goes with that, a dialogue. And then we're suddenly aware, like we've slowed this down a million times. <laughs> so that happens like that. It happens immediately. And that's the... That's the exceptional beauty of the mind-body system is that it can do this so quickly. Now, what we want to do at that point is we want to intervene. And, and intervening, recognizing that this is actually a natural, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there's saber-toothed tigers out there. You know, we're living in the cave and there's saber-toothed tigers and we're constantly listening for the roar. We're constantly listening for the, the creaking you know, um, forest. Mm. We're constantly listening because we're in flight or fight. The trouble with after three years of this, many people are living in flight or fight. 
because they're constantly being triggered. They see another COVID sign. They see another. I was another, just thinking of the COVID yep. sign. You walk you into the an COVID dairy and this old yep. sign is still there. I know. Yeah, I was, at the, I was filling up the gas yesterday and there was one on a post at this non-personal gas station thing, you know, ones that have no humans. It's just put your card in. And, and there was a, you know, it was like a sign in. It was on the post. I'm going, well, <laughs> it's just ludicrous stuff. And then for many people, though, that just, that reminds them of the time they wanted to go to their favorite cafe and they're not yeah. allowed there anymore. So they make these associations. It takes them yep. back there. It's like, you know, I see a mask in the gutter and I get all like aggro. <laughs> yeah, we saw one this morning, you know. I mean, I've I've walked on uh, New Brighton Beach in, in Christchurch many, many times. And I'd often, pre-COVID, often gone, wow, it's just such a clean beach. So little plastic, so little anything. And what I've noticed after COVID is just, you know, I've seen masks washing up on the beach, you know, and I'd never seen, I'd never seen plastic or junk, just mm -hmm. driftwood and stuff like that. So these triggers are really important. The other one is, uh, the third one is the most powerful and that's smell. So smell um, can be, um, it, smell bypasses the critical factor of the brain. It just goes straight into the primal. Um, and it's the fastest acting. So, you know, you smell baking, you remember mother's baking. So the, here's the other thing. You have beautiful positive triggers. This is the thing we must yeah. remember. Yeah. So this system is built for a, a huge range of, ex, range of experience. It's not just for fight or flight and survival. It's also to how to recognize joy, beauty, that sort of thing. I mean, one thing that's been on my mind so much lately is there's just no beauty in what we're, what we've been through. There's just no, I think Neil Oliver even said it recently on a, he says, you know, where's the beauty in this? Where's the beauty in anything political, financial at the moment? It's just, and, and, and those are the most beautiful triggers. You know, when my favorite is seeing a bumblebee plunge into the middle of a, you know, into the middle of a flower. You know, and just the joy of that and seeing the flower swing from side to side as it's trying to deal with this this bumblebee. You know, that's a trigger for joy, for creativity. You know? I feel like I feel like we can always see that we can always find the beauty. Yeah. This is my take on the world. We yeah, can yeah. always find the beauty. Like it might be like, yeah, there's a COVID sign here and there's a mask in the gutter over there. But oh my goodness, look at that bumblebee. You know, yeah. we can choose yeah. to what we focus on festers, right? Yeah. Um, so there is that. But we want to acknowledge, like, if we are triggered, I think the important thing is to acknowledge, wow, interesting. Thank you, universe, yeah. for showing that I'm still bothered by that. Yeah. Is it is that important piece of it, like, doing the work? Like, go, like how do we stop being triggered by some of these negative things? Well, you is don't. There, is there something we can do? You don't. So the, the thing is, because you're dealing with the subconscious process, so we can try the kind of CBT, cognitive behavioral kind of format, which is like, you know, <laughs> we get the rubber band and we ping ourselves every time on the wrist every time we we get a bad thought but you know you know um oxford did a, a longitudinal um research meta research on that and it you know it's 50 50 flick a coin the fundamental thing is is that i think you're absolutely right there is so much beauty and the more we put our attention on that the more that will grow you know there's a wonderful book um power versus force by andrew hawkins and the research into kinesiology and they mapped um, a positive versus a, a negative thought. And um, the negative thought was 10 to the power of negative five weaker in watts than a positive thought. So what it meant was, you know, one positive thought is 100,000 times stronger than a negative thought. We've just got to remind ourselves to keep bringing out our attention to those positive thoughts, which can 
for some be be a real challenge on a daily basis. So it's looking for nature, I think. Mm. You know, the studies they've done in the States where they take CEOs out of New York and, they, you know, and these the CEOs have all got these, the markers for heightened blood pressure, neuroses, sleeping problems, all these different stuff, and they throw them up to upstate Boston <laughs> and stick them into some forest bathing for, for a week and, you know, within 48 hours, all their markers start mm. to drop and all their markers of wellness start to rise, you know. A lot of the challenges we have and the lack of beauty maybe is because there's no nature in it. It almost seems to be denatured or anti-natured. And so the remedy to that has come back to, you know, a lot of people talk about earthing now, which is a science now. Walk around bare feet in the morning grass, you know, just connects us to the earth. Get more vitamin D, those sorts of things. Um, if the we interesting- do those things that you mentioned, like grounding and having some nature time and and things like that. Are we then going to be less triggered? Like, can we kind of fill up our non-trigger tank in good ways to therefore not be so triggered, you know, a little bit more neutral about things? Yeah, I I think we can. I think at a baseline, it it builds a resilience in the physiology because, I mean, the the mind-body system is not separate. It's integrated. It's all, you know, and then you've got the etheric body, which deals with the resonance of that, that which we can't see or hear or feel. And so you've got this this very, very broad scope. So the more that we can connect with um, with nature, that which we kind of evolved from, I guess, on one level, you know, that which seems to be operating regardless of us um, and that we can't help but admit we're deeply connected to, the more we connect into that, the more we, we build resilience, flexibility, um, and a sense of maybe being in a greater world um, of higher or, or more broad connection that has more validity in terms of an experience than these kind of, you know, three-year cycles of politics, which are really nothing more than made-up fictions. You know, the whole concept of politics, you know, that was easy, very easy to f- forget is that it's it's a construct it's a fiction that we make up i just want to you know the thing about also which comes from um in neurolinguistic programming which is you know never do a wiki on nlp but <laughs> the fundamental thing is is the premise is modeling and the really interesting thing is is the structure of the trigger is more important than what the trigger was I was lying in bed the other night and um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had a thought and it was about, um, I've been watching a lot of Twitter. I watched too much Twitter the other night and especially around what was happening in the Middle East. And I just got a worm in my head and the worm was basically just a repeating song, (laughs) believe it or not. And it's a song that I just can't stand. And, And I was thinking, well, you know, a lot of people say, well, how do you get rid of this song? The answer is how do I get how do I change the structure of the song in my head so it no longer has any power? The song going around in my head was We Built the City on Rock and Roll, which I just I just can't stand that song. And I think it's p- partly because it was just so repeated on every radio station for so long, and it's just, I just can't stand it. Some people love it. Now we're all singing it, by the way. So, sorry, what? Now we're all singing it in our heads. Yeah. So... <laughs> To get rid of the worm, you can't get rid of the, it, they call it a, you know, a sound worm. So you don't get rid of it, you change it. And and you change it by 
making a change to the speed or to the tone or to one of the words or something, and you note how that change that you make changes how you feel. So all I did, I was lying in bed and go, oh, there's that song. So I slowed it all the way down. And then, and then stopped having the effect on me. It took about two minutes. And what it was is as soon as you do that, well, as soon as I did that, it changed the song from having a default structure to having choice of structure, which means I could choose the one unconsciously that feels the best and i woke up you know a couple of hours later the fundamental thing is triggers are very very powerful on on so many levels positively negatively and neutrally when we have ones that are um that are problematic rather than getting engaged in the narrative what i call the shortland street of the trigger i.e. who it is, what they're talking about, all that sort of stuff. A really powerful way of, one of a better way, neutralizing or dealing with the trigger is how am I structuring that trigger in my head? What comes to mind as soon as uh, that I hear that voice or I see that person? What comes to mind? And if I play with what comes to mind, either the way it's sounding, like I make it sound like Minnie Mouse, or I make it sound like a horse baying, or I make it sound like, you know, whatever I want, or I change it from color to black and white if it's an image, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Then what happens is my brain suddenly goes, oh, I've got choices. Mm -hmm. That's freedom. And when we start doing that more, we're not having to get involved with all the, the background neuroses, the background psychopathology that is actually part of the owner of the trigger, i.e. the person in the space who's who's doing the triggering, for want of a better way of putting it. Then it puts it in our position. Who, how am I responding and how can I take control of that? This is a long conversation, you know, that could be going for hours, but it's it's a really unique way of doing it. So it's no longer that person out there who's saying, doing, or whatever. It's now me taking control of how I choose to internally respond to what's going on outside of me. Now, I, if we I think do, that's great. You've given us yeah. an actionable strategy, which I love. Yeah. And yes. what I've written down is change the structure instead yeah. of lapsing back into the story, because normally yeah. we'd go back into the story of what that person did, and we'd go into naming, shaming, blaming, and complaining, yeah. which is victim mode. Um, and you're, it's, so you're giving us a strategy, which is yeah. changing the structure so that we are more empowered. So thank yes. you. Yeah. Pleasure. I would love to now go to uh, some other triggers, and then I want to come to the election. Um yeah. So other triggers, especially at the moment, you know, current events, you turn on the news, you know, Israel invasion, all of a sudden people are triggered because maybe when they grew up, their country was invaded, or maybe they were really worried about Ukraine, but now they're suddenly not worried about Ukraine. They're suddenly, you know, and and people are getting triggered by current events or current events that they're being told, you know, and we, I always uh. advise people take everything with a grain of salt, just what we're being told and how we're being shown may not always be absolutely accurate. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of pe people being triggered by the news as such? Well, those triggers are very different. And if I'm walking down the street and I see a COVID sign, 
I didn't know that that COVID sign was going to be there. But if I go onto social media or I turn it on, I pretty much have to have an expectation that something's going to trigger me. It's going to trigger my humanity. Mm-hmm. It's going to trigger my 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 desire to be able to help in some way. It's you know it's going to trigger some aspect of of me. So the first call is: Am I getting triggered by going on social media? And what are the specific like? You know, X at the moment is just so full on. It's just, it's full on. And if you're in your own little echo chamber, i.e., you know, the algorithm's just giving you more and more of the same, then chances are the triggers are just going to just keep rolling. So find out or ask yourself, what are the main social medias that are triggering the most and pull out? The fundamental thing is about them, even if it's to do with the election in New Zealand at the moment, and that could be triggering for a lot of people, is that is the query that we ask in the Courageous Conversations groups is, is this in my sphere of influence? Can I do anything about this? You know, is this actually something that even knowing is helping me to do what I need to do, to do what I need to do in my family, in my work situation. Is this relevant? And if it's not, and you know that it's potentially triggering you, drop out. Like, just pull the plug on it. And that, you know, I've had a couple of people in the group come back after two weeks of not doing social media going, oh, my God, my life has changed. You know, simply because they pulled out of Telegram, they pulled out of – because these rabbit holes, they, they you know, they just – they keep scrolling, there's more and more, and yada, yada. Now, that's the dopamine just gets hit. It's like, you know, we, we know this from all the research into the, the scroll right, the scroll up, and all these different things. The guys who invented them won't let their kids have phones because of it, mm-hmm. because it's a dopamine um, addiction. That's what it does. And, and, and secondly, um, you know, one of the things that saved my life really was the the awareness of fascination, curiosity. And the prime mover, I feel very strongly about the prime mover, mover at the subconscious level, and it comes out of the Veda, actually, the, the um, Hindu Veda, is, is curiosity, that f- ultimate fascination at the deepest level. So we are designed to look for the next curious thing because we want to evolve, we want to grow. But at the subconscious level, it's not going to judge whether this thing is necessarily bad for us or not. It's just going to go, wow, that's interesting. Wow, that's fascinating. It's then that we make the judgment following that, whether it feels good or not, whether it's where it's what we want or not. Now, there are a lot of people who keep scrolling, even though it's feeling bad, mm-hmm. because we're now addicted. We're addicted to that feedback loop of, I need to know more. I need to know more. How, and we lose track of ourselves. We become externally referenced, which is the antithesis of freedom. We want to be self-referenced. And that's where we go, okay, well, is this something I can influence? Is this actually useful in my life right now? And if the answer is no, then pull the cord. (laughs) You know, that's step one. That's just step one. Because we know if I'm walking down the street and I'm triggered by this thing that I didn't know was going to happen, I can't control that. I have to then control my response. And often with those triggers, it's post. So I have to do it 
you know, if you've suddenly triggered, I have to then do something. You know, we could do some havening, which you've talked about in one of the talks. We can do, you know, some havening. We do some EFT if we want. You know, we can do these different techniques. Um, Later on, when we've cooled down, we can, oh, what was that other one? The guy from up north, you know, breathe in four, hold, breathe out eight. You know, the longer breathe out drops the Candles and flowers. I remember someone was talking about candles and flowers. Candles and flowers, all those sorts of things. So once again, they're ways of transcending. So they're distraction, essentially, they're curious building because anything that integrates the mind-body system like havening, like EFT, those sorts of things, will drop the body down into a more um, relaxed state, an alpha state. So then we can deconstruct what happened and then we can restructure it. Then we can go, well, actually, I'm going to imagine myself out there in the future having restructured this in the same context and notice what feels different. Because once you've restructured it, your brain's going to go, wow, I didn't know I could do this. I'm going to do this every time now. You know, it's like once you've got the once you've got your balance on the push bike, that's it. It's done. You know, once you can write your name for the first time perfectly, it's like, well, that's done. I can now write my name. You know, the neurology's now there. Yeah. Is there bit, but... is there a positive side to triggers? Because so I help uh, women in business, particularly with their extraordinary impact. And when some people are like, oh, I just don't know the impact I want to have, often I'll say something like, well, what are you so excited about that you just can't help yourself? Or on the flip yeah. side, what absolutely fires you up? that you know you just have to do something about it. So I guess what I'm saying here is uh, I would like to think, I could be wrong, that uh, some triggers are, in a way, a gift shining a light on our path. Because if it fires you up so much, and it's not just like, oh, it's really bothering me. I'm so worried. It's like, okay, pull the plug. You don't need to like watch all the social media videos. Mm -hmm. I I get what you're saying on that. Mm -hmm. But if someone feels like, wow, I'm I'm really triggered by this. This is really, um, I just feel so... Like I need to do something about it. I'm like, maybe that's something, maybe there's something in it. Maybe that's yeah. a bit of a pathway of where your next step in life is. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So um, two things. There's a few things that you said. <laughs> so um, the first thing is positive triggers. Yes. So in um, in the coaching realm and specifically NLP, there's a thing called resource anchors. You might've heard of it. So the resource anchor is a simple thing. And it's basically... Um, you can't see me, but I'm squeezing the end of my index finger. I'm squeezing it. Okay, so that's what we call a triggerable anchor. So what I can do is I can ask a person and say, listen, when was the last time you had a really great experience doing da-da-da-da-da? So it might be like someone, and this is, I'll get into this minute. So so they'll say, well, I did this thing where I was um, surfing, and I finally got the surfing right, and I've been surfing ever since, and I had this amazing wave the other day, and I said, great, so go go inside and just find that memory just before you got into the on on the board and you had that great experience and they give me a nod and I say great now squeeze that tip of your index finger while you're experiencing that memory and they'll go into it now as you're experiencing the memory I want you to make it a bit brighter I want you to make it a bit warmer I want you to imagine you're it's a little bit larger than life and they and they'll start to lift up and, and start tingling and then and then they'll finish the ride they'll be lying down on the board and I said release that anchor now what we've created now we do that three or four times so we build so it's literally like smelling mum's baking you know you walk into a house like you smell scone. yeah it's pavlov so you're building a pavlov triggered anchor so i've done this with many people um people are going into a major business meeting i had a guy who was also going into his fear fear of public speaking and he had to 
talk at his brother's wedding. So we did a few things. There was a little bit of regression in terms of like he had something happen at his first day of school. <laughs> no surprises there. Mm-hmm. We cleaned that up. And then I said, well, where do you notice you can speak just with you, with, you know, with complete comfort? And he said, well, when I'm with my mates telling some stories, crap. So when was the last time you were with your mates? So we did that whole thing. So then what you do, Natalie, is you say, okay, so you know this thing's coming up, right? He says, yeah, okay, so what we're going to do is here's the scenario. I want you to imagine that you're in the audience and you can see yourself over there getting up to give the speech, but not yet. Okay, so so what you're doing is in third person, you say like, okay, so I can you can see yourself. Okay, you're getting up now, squeeze your anchor. And so what that will do is that'll trigger the positive experiences that he's had speaking to mates, Mm-hmm. sports teams or whatever whatever it is and he's now associating that to seeing himself getting up on stage and I said notice how that feels he said, well I can see myself getting up on stage and it feels okay feels good so all we're doing is called mapping we're mapping one um positive structural uh ability into a different context. That's all we're doing. So we'll do that three or four times. I said, now I want you to do is in a moment, I'm going to ask you to squeeze your finger once again, but this time you're going to be sitting in the seat and they're going to ask you to get up to speak and you squeeze it and then blah, blah, blah. And I want you to, and this is the fun part, as I say, I want you to try as hard as you can to feel anxious about it now and notice what's happening instead. And they can't. Mm-hmm. And it's simply because as soon as your brain has a positive structured anchor it can't do the opposing emotional state at the same time you can't do happy sad at the same time because they're 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 wired differently so basically we're just tricking the brain body system into so anyway i got this text from this guy he goes oh my god if, if, if i was gay i'd marry you because oh my god i did the most amazing speech i've ever done in my entire life you know, there were 200 people there. I mean, it's a true story. That's what he wrote, which was a bit weird. But that's what we were doing. We were just basically moving, mapping. And this is how sports people do this. You know, some sports, the Crow brothers went from cricket into golf. I think that's how it went. And a lot of people ask, how do they do that? Well, the fundamental essence of any good sportsmanship is mental attitude. It's probably about 90% of it. So they just mapped that mental attitude and a bunch of skills that they could associate across, but they mapped the attitude. They had such a successful state of mind that they felt they were pretty much probably bulletproof. They mapped that across into the new sport, and that's how they did so well, or one of them at least did so well in the other sport. That is so, it's such a great technique because it's, so you're mapping the attitude and I wrote down anchoring. We do, I do that with essential oils as well. So anchoring a positive experience to a certain smell. But what I love about that is some people would be like, oh, just pretend you're with your mates. Pretend your mates are in the audience. It's like, no, no, you can't just positive your way through. You have to have a special technique that you basically anchoring it into your brain. So it makes that association subconsciously. Yeah. And there's a saying that we don't want to be building the plane while we're falling through the sky. (laughs) And it's like, you know, it's like you you can't, you know, once you're in the anxious state or once you're in that, that uncomfort state, it's really difficult to build the comfort state. Because you're not mapped mm. to the right neurological structure. And so that's why we, we do it proactively. So it's basically 
proactive imprinting is what we're doing. It sounds technical, but it's not. It's basically utilizing existing positive structures, finding a resourceful anchor so that we can trigger that. Oh, and that's what he did. He got to the wedding and just as they asked him to step up, he he squeezed his finger. Yeah. He squeezed his finger and he got the good feeling and he stood up and just nailed it. So, you know, it. but it, that was a proactively... Mm -hmm. um, done strategic process. Now I've done that with business people, I've done with sports people, I've done with, you know, even with people with, you know, really chronic anxiety. So no matter how much anxiety someone has, they everyone has one or two good memories where they weren't anxious. You know, a good question is asked, well, where are you when you're not anxious? How do you know when, you know, what happened recently where you weren't feeling anxious? And everyone has an answer for that. They might have to look a bit, but they'll have it. So there's your there's your anchorable, you know, state. For those people listening, we would love to hear from you. What is resonating for you with this discussion around navigating the psychological triggers? If you've just joined us, I'm talking to Aaron McLaughlin. He's based in Christchurch. Um, he can obviously help you if you if you have got something coming up that triggers you and you want to work through it. But what is what is uh, resonating for you, or what is a place that where you feel absolute ease? Do do let us know. You can send a text twenty fifty seven or inbox at realitycheck.radio on the email. Let's talk a little bit about the election. Well, post election, is this something in terms of Kiwis and how we feel? In terms of it was a big build up to the election. Some people thought, I think you and I were discussing earlier, that this is going to be the white night. You know, it's going to save us or change things. What are the emotions mm -hmm. that are around at the moment or post-election? Um, and how can people positively move forward? Because a lot of people will be feeling that kind of grief or sadness or anger about the outcome that wasn't what they were hoping for. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think that the first thing that came to mind when you said, you know, what is the main emotion? It's fear. You know, it's the fear of the same thing happening again. Potentially, it's the same of a loss of freedoms. It's a, you know, the fear, the fear of uh, no change. You know, and I think that has been an overriding. And so, with that, we are. You know, we're once again in that state of don't think of a black cat. You know, I don't want this to happen. I don't want that to happen. And it seems to, it, it fills the system. Post-election, we're, we're still thinking, well, where do we go from here? What does this actually mean now? You know, there's all these conversations that are going on. Um, once again, the query is, what is in my personal sphere of influence? What am I in control of? I can't control these people up top. I can't, I've done all I'm technically allowed to do or enabled to do, and that is vote. You know, that's it. I've done it. Um, I've, I've done whatever I did leading up to it. And now I'm happy with or miserable about or dealing with the consequences, that still is my internal response to whatever's happened. And so my internal response is still the thing that is in my sphere of influence. If I'm feeling uncomfortable, that's probably because I expected something else. You know, we could get glib and a little bit, you know, um, cliche about and say, well, it is what it is. Well, that's kind of 
<laughs> I've said a lot of people. The fundamental thing is what I'm feeling about what's happened is the thing I need to work on. A possible query there is, well, how much of my personal safety, security and well-being is based on an external experience defining my happiness? Okay, well, that's not a healthy place to be in. And we've learned that over the last three years. That's just not a healthy place to be in because, well, we see what happens when that happens, you know, in, in you know, all spiritual texts, it's called the illusion. The illusion out there is defining how I'm supposed to feel in here rather than me deciding how I want to feel. And that's the, that's the query. Okay, so this has happened with the election. All right, it's all out of my control now. What do I want? What are my skills? What are my resources? And as you might put it, okay, what are my new goals? What are the new benchmarks that I'm making? How do I see myself at the end of this year? Like, you know, picture myself sitting around, let's call it the cliche Christmas Day sort of scenario. Some people, that's not a good thing. Or it might be the New Year's Eve thing, whatever kind of, you know, um, rocks your boat. But fundamentally, what is, how do I see myself at the end of the year? How do I want to see myself at the end of the year? One thing I've noticed with respect to um, these sorts of things that's helped so many people is the one thing I'm in control of all of the time is how I choose to project myself in my imagination into the future. Mm. Yeah. The one thing we know scientifically now, because they can read brain scans and all that sort of stuff, if I can see myself, let's say something's coming, like, let's say something's coming up. Um, mid-November, you know, you've got a, a big event coming up and you're not really sure how it's going to go. If I can see myself on the 20th of November smiling because it's done, I can see myself a little bit larger than life just standing there smiling, not because it went well, not because it went poorly, just because it's done. Science now can measure that your cortisol goes down, <laughs> your dopamine goes, you know, all of the the, the kind of the the risk factor adrenal stuff drops down because I've literally told my primal brain, I survive this. Now, if we repeatedly do that, now I've helped so many people with anxiety is, can you see yourself at the end of the day smiling because the day is done? Doesn't matter what's happened in between. Can you see yourself smiling? Yes, I can. Now make that image brighter. So immediately they'll relax. Their reptilian or whatever animalistic brain has suddenly gone, Oh, we're going to survive this. So all of that fight or fight stuff drops down. And that's what I'm kind of thinking, you know, now that it's over, now that we're looking back, it's done. Mm. Nothing has really changed for me personally. I've still got to influence my own life. I've still got my groups, my workshops, my clients, occasional flute funeral that I, that I, um, work with and, can I see myself at the end of the week smiling because those things are done to my best ability? Yes, I can. What happens internally when I do that? Any potential anxiety drops down. Any potentially potential possibility for triggering in a negative way mm -hmm. drops down. What will that do also? It opens me up for the potential, the curious potential of recognizing that which triggers positive response, joyful response, inspirational response. What a simple technique. I, yeah. I really love it because 
I love the focus on it's done. It's need, you know, it's neither good or bad because most people would try to visualize themselves doing a great job, whatever. Let's say they're in a running race and they're really worried about it. Yeah. And they'd and they then their mind would you know come and go with them tripping over or yeah, yeah. false start or whatever the case may be. But you're like no, smiling because it's done, and that's simple. And I think everyone can do it. Thank you. I love giving my audience actionable tips. I think make that make that smiling because it's done. Yeah. Make that image. Remember. Now more than ever, we're visually primary. We're mm. visual primary. Yeah. So see yourself and make that image a little bit brighter than natural, a little bit larger than life. So it's almost super, superhuman. Yeah. You you kind of just what they do in Hollywood. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but I saw a few ads of the Barbie thing. I don't want but anyway, but the, but what they've done is they've yeah. hyper-realized it. So there's an yeah. aspect of it where you go, wow, you know, the colors, the everything's hyper-realized. So why aren't we doing that with our subconscious? Why aren't we giving ourselves hyper-realized, compelling mm -hmm. kind of images of ourselves just smiling because we're on the other side of the thing that was potentially causing us all these mental problems? Yeah. Well, I can see myself smiling at the end of this conversation I'm having with you going, yeah, Oh, that's done. <laughs> and I didn't swear. It was fantastic. Amazing. You made it through. One other yeah. thing that I, I just got to throw in here. I've been saying it a lot, but um, I, I always said to people, you know, don't put all your eggs in the election basket, meaning, uh. you know, you we are so powerful on our own in terms of how we show up in the world and also the collective impact that we can have on how things roll out. It's not just what happened at the voting booth. So I wanted to highlight that again. Um yeah. Anyone, yeah. do you want to comment on that before I take you to the four questions that I ask everybody? Uh, not really. I think, you know, I, I just have to go on my own anecdotal experience. I mean, I was standing in Christchurch. I was watching a march. I didn't want to be involved in it. Police were there and all this sort of stuff. And a couple of people passed by me. A woman comes right up to me and she just looks me in the eye and says, you're the Aaron guy. And I said, uh, yes, maybe. <laughs> she said, you're that guy that did that talk about anxiety and I said yes that's right I am she says wow was amazing she says I just keep it I wake up in the morning she says I, I see myself at the end of the day smiling mm -hmm. because it's all done and she goes you know what life is so much easier and then she just had a sip of a coffee and walked away <laughs> it was the <laughs> weirdest experience but it was just you know I've had so much feedback that when we remove, it sounds kind of, it sounds the opposite to everything we think we know about coaching. Mm -hmm. But when we see ourselves just on the other side, not hyped up, not, you know, whatever it is because we're amazing or whether, you know, whatever, it's just we can see ourselves on the other side smiling because it's done. It's that's a whole different neurological structure. And that talks directly to the very deep primal part of us that's constantly in that kind of high acuity flight or fight potential sort of state. So we see ourselves out there smiling, it's done. Mm -hmm. oh, we don't have to we don't have to, you know, be the conqueror of the universe. We don't have to be the millionaire or whatever, or having run the race. It's just, it's done. That the beauty of that is, and I want to say this because I've had the feedback from it so many times, is that when we do it that way, Natalie, the brain-body system then goes, ah, it relaxes, and you immediately tap into the much deeper resources, resilience, skill, whatever you need to actually surprise yourself. And a lot of what I talk about in in the workshops and stuff is when we see ourselves out in the future, can we also later on imagine ourselves experiencing more and more 
surprise and delight because we're surprising ourselves by just having that 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 charge of curiosity of going well what if something happens out there in the future that surprises and delights me beyond what i ever thought possible and so it's kind of like at that moment i'm giving it out to the universe saying Give me what you got. Surprise and delight me. Because I know, I don't know about you, you're the same, but I've tried to plan a lot of stuff. <laughs> Seriously, best made plans. Fundamentally, I've found that I can't plan a lot anymore. I don't know if it's the calm or whatever. I can plan a little, but what I've found is amazing things tend to happen more when I just put it out there that I'm on the other side and I've survived this. I'm I'm good. Now surprise and delight me with what comes next yeah and i've found that that's mind-blowing you know i just got to chime in here because when i read your bio of course i'm thinking oh he sounds like a manifesting generator which is multi-passionate and one of the secrets for, i don't know if you are but one of the secrets for manifesting generators is not to plan too much far in advance yeah. because your superpower is living in the moment and to yeah. be guided only by and say yes only to what lights you up. And when you live mm. like that, invitations and opportunities will come your way. That's the surprise and delight. Yeah. Amazing. Now let's, yeah. look it up. Let me know. Um, okay. Four words that are going to change your life, everybody. Smile because it's done. Thank you so much, yeah. Aaron. Let's nice. talk about up your brave. What is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? You know what? I think I, I'm going to actually say I, I've worked with over the last 18 months, I just I, I set up a group called Courageous Conversations in Christchurch, and and it, and it was just simply because no one was doing it, and I couldn't work out why. There's all these psychologists out there and all these people, and no one, no one in, in our VFF realm or any anything, it, it was doing a group that I knew of, and I'm putting the word out there, and so I set it up, and these people turned up and they shared, and I think. It, and that, the answer to that query is I think it was courageous to set it up. But what I've noticed is the up the brave of all of these men and women who keep turning up. We've got a profound core group of people who have gotten through some truly horrific situations. And they've come out the other side having, you know, little tools, little strategies, little things, you know, strat, strat, strategic rather than story. Mm -hmm. That's the key, you know, structural rather than the Shortland Street of it, mm -hmm. you know, and and that has been so amazing to watch. And I think that's that's the answer to that question for me. Really, it sounds amazing. I love the sound of that. Mm -hmm. Maybe in a moment you can tell us how they can find out more if they do live in Christchurch. Sure. What about your bucket list? Something that you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can maybe help you with? Well, I mean, I don't know if anyone can help me with this, but I, I have a mental picture of, of delight and surprise because I'm on a little sailboat on a little harbour. Because <laughs> that's just that's where I want to go next. You know, this sort of sense of um, you know, things are changing constantly in life. And um I, I you know, I sort of feel I'd I'd like to spend more time on the water and this sort of thing. So I can that's my bucket list thing. I've traveled a lot and done a lot of wonderful things with people and, and still do and still will. And yet my downtime is actually just a little yacht on a little harbour, just, just chilling out, you know, 
Yeah, Maybe sounds amazing. A, and sometimes with a little we fishing rod, <laughs> we don't need to know the concrete details of no, where it is or no. who you're with or yeah. the size of the yacht. It's like that's just the vision: no. is it's on the water, it's on a boat. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, what is coming up for you in the next few months, and how can we connect with you online? How can they find out about Courageous Conversations or book you as their funeral celebrant? Or coach. Well, my funeral celebrant stuff is through Bell Lamb and Trotter in Christchurch. That's who I work with um, primarily, and it, and it's yeah, that's a whole different ball game. The, the funeral world works quite differently in respect to referrals. It's based, mm-hmm. it's a very unusual system, but okay. yeah, I'll leave that up to people. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm my my website's being rebuilt, and um, that's what's coming up in the next couple of months, really. And I've got someone wonderful um, doing it dear friend Deb, and she's doing that at the moment. She's snowed under, but we'll get there. But they can go to Aaron, A-R-O-N-M.co.nz. So it's aaronm.co.nz. And it's a pretty raw site, but it's got lots of videos. It's got lots of strategic videos, even a stupid one where I, the first video I think is me like that, (laughs) holding a pencil between my mouth. So the beautiful thing about strategies is if you have a, if you're feeling down, Stick a pen sideways like that in your mouth and, and bite down on it. Like a dog with a bone, everybody. Like a dog with a bone. Thank you very much. And <laughs> Don't what stab yourself is, in the throat. <laughs> yeah. On structural level, it structures your mouth into a smile, mm. which releases endorphins related to smiling. Which Now, further back, a little bit further back. That's it, like that. Okay. Now try to feel now try to feel sad while you're doing that. It's structurally not possible. So it's a really interesting thing. So that's my first video. That's a great study tip, by the way, yeah. as well. For teens, if they're really stressed out, they could like and they're studying, they yeah. can do that. Or anyone at work. Yeah. Or anyone, anytime. So the website's what's coming up, aaronm.co.nz. Um, and I've got my two books are on there. Um, Better Sleep Sooner and Rapid Inspired Change. And they're on download at the moment because it's um, I self-published those two books. And it's actually extremely expensive to to pull in a whole bunch of printed books. So I'm just doing it on the download at the moment. So um, and you can you can find those there. And if you have a problem, just email me. If you've got any questions, just email me. All the contact stuff is there. Um, yeah. And what about Telegram or X? Um, I'm on X, Aaron M. M-N-Z, and I'm on Telegram at Court Jester, and it's Jester with an A on the end, not an E-R, so it's at Court Jester. We will put all those links on the replay page, um, but I think if you start off going to the website, you'll definitely be able to find Aaron McLaughlin, which is, um, you can Google him as well, I guess, but um, Aaron with A-A-R-O-N-M.co.nz. Amazing. So before we wrap up, Aaron, is there anything else that you would love to share with our audience today? You know what? Keep it in your sphere of influence. You know, if anything coming up, you know, the, the thing that has been so useful for me, my family, and so many clients and friends is even if you're not dealing with anxiety or any, just if you've got anything that's coming up, help your brain body system to structure for joy in the future by seeing yourself on the other side of whatever's coming up. Just see yourself smiling because it's done. And, and, and then ask yourself, what if there is a future of delight and surprise? What if there is a future of delight and surprise that I am co-creating with whatever you believe is your creative source? 
you know, and and I kind of think that's that's it. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this talk today and I was thinking, oh, what am I going to say? Because because I knew we were going to talk about goals and stuff like that. And you said it quite well moments ago. You said, you know, I mean, why, how I work is, and, and I've found myself, I don't have a lot of ambition anymore. And I think it's partly because I'm kind of just sitting in the present moment, just noticing what I'm curious about with a sense that there's a timeline out there, a sense that there's outcomes. And, the, you know, having worked with thousands of people, I sort of go, well, Actually, what makes me feel happy is just leaving it up to knowing that there's this, that I'm going to be okay, noticing that there's this delight and surprise, noticing that I can only control what I can control in the moment, then I, I want to I want to notice what the universe can do. Mm. And I can't plan that, you know, and I don't actually want to. You know, nature's huge. Spirit is huge. And that's so profoundly exciting, you know. Let, let them surprise us you know um that that's my final thing <laughs> it's so good it sounds like you are living in that state of trust and curiosity which is exactly well i have my down mean. moments but yes generally yes <laughs> <laughs> and i'm only human <laughs> amazing well it is it's certainly an interesting time sending love to everyone thank you so much for listening to this really interesting interview with aaron where we talked about navigating the psychological triggers thank you so much aaron my pleasure thank you thank you natalie it was so great to talk to Aaron. I hope you enjoyed that interview where we talked about navigating the psychological triggers. We talked about a lot of things, including voice-based triggers, visual triggers, smell triggers even, and asking yourself, is this in my sphere of influence? So how important it is to ask those questions. And also changing the structure instead of lapsing back into the story. Very, very important. Um, if you want to get in touch with Aaron, you can contact him, aaronm.co.nz. In fact, I already, I'm just a bit of a nerd when it comes to connecting people. And I already connected Aaron with one of my guests coming up next week um, because Aaron runs those amazing, <clears throat> excuse me, those amazing um, courageous conversation um, gatherings. And I had, and I suggested something similar to my guest next week. So if you, um, if not, if you get an idea from this interview, something that you feel like you might want to create in your own community, right? It doesn't, you don't just have to listen. <laughs> you can go and take empowered action. If you feel called or if something resonates with you, that is part of what I'm doing here is just encouraging people to follow what lights you up. Um, instead of getting, you know, stuck in the triggers and going in circles. That's not what we want to do, right? Uh, you can also follow him on X, Court Jesta, C-O-U-R-T-J-E-S-T-A, Court Jesta on Telegram. And then also on X, formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> Aaron, A-A-R-O-N-M-M-N-Z. So there you go. You can follow Aaron. Um, I've chosen a song coming up. In fact, I was so inspired by our guest, um, sorry, our interview, somebody in the audience that suggested the John Denver song. I'm actually going to play that. Um, Sunshine on My Shoulders Makes Us Happy by John Denver. And when I think of this song, you know, it always reminds you of things from your youth. When I was growing up in Canada with me and my three sisters in Toronto, my parents would take us on what we called special outings. And we would go on a special outing once a year. And that meant we get to go with mom and dad with no other siblings, like just us. And my sister chose to go to a John Denver concert. That was her choice. And I don't know why. Literally, this is what I chose for my special outing. My sister, my other sister went to a really cool restaurant with a carousel that had like this amazing like carousel with horses and merry-go-round. 
in the restaurant. Super cool. So what did I chose? What did I choose? I chose to go to the museum to see the King Tut exhibit. <laughs> That's what I chose for my special outing. Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing, and the app is now live. You can visit the App Stores direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything, from listening to our live broadcast, downloading some of our incredible interviews, and checking out the latest blogs, all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. Welcome back, everybody. You're here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on the Up Your Brave show on Reality Check Radio. And coming up, my next guest is Simone Denny. We're going to be talking about finding freedom and purpose through IFS. Welcome to the show, Simone. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. It's beautiful to be on your show. Great to be Zooming with you all the way over to Waiheke Island. (laughs) Not too far away. Not too far away. For those of you that don't know Simone, Simone Denny is a leading coach and practitioner who empowers individuals and groups to create effective mindset strategies and high-performance habits. She teaches individuals how to build emotional agility and uncover subconscious patterns so they can step into their purpose and potential and create a life they love. She graduated from University of Berkeley, California, and Otago University with degrees in psychology and business. She's a qualified life coach, IFS practitioner, ooh, I was wondering, internal family systems, IFS, epigenetic coach, mind detox therapist, and mindfulness practitioner. She is certified in cognitive behavior therapy, NLP, and the Emotional Culture Deck. In addition to speaking and coaching, she also runs personal development workshops for corporates and online group coaching programs. Her signature programs are Living with Purpose, and Purpose to Profit. She leads a growing membership and hosts retreats. Simone has previously spent 12 years working in the banking industry, interesting, where she successfully project-managed multi-million dollar projects from inception to delivery. What an interesting dynamic journey you've been on. (laughs) Yes, it is. uh, has been my journey of finding my purpose is definitely not taken a straight line, but it feels good to kind of have arrived where I am now. Yeah. Well, you know, life always makes a little more sense when we look back rather than when we're looking forward. I know that a lot of our listeners will be looking forward to exploring the concept of finding your purpose. Uh, But before we do that, can you give us a little bit more info on your backstory, on your journey and how you came to be here? And oh my goodness, you have so many degrees and qualifications. Very impressive. (laughs) Uh, they've just been collected over the years. Um, but yeah, I guess I haven't taken the traditional route to being a coach or really living my purpose. And I think most people don't, we don't always start out our lives knowing exactly what we're here to do. And ironically, now I help people find that because I really feel like it's been my own journey, uh, through a lot of trial and error and a lot of, you know, ups and downs, peaks and troughs in life. I've really found my stride, maybe a bit later in life. And I kind of want to encourage people who are maybe listening to this to know that it is never too late to find your thing in life. And I encourage a lot of 
people who come to me. I, I work with people where they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, are still finding their purpose. And, you know, some people go through life not finding their purpose. So <clears throat> if you're thinking, I've missed the boat, just know that that is available to you at any phase that you really want to dive into it. But for me, I guess I started out as definitely uh, an ambitious person, a high achiever. I wanted to uh, head out of New Zealand and, and explore the world quite early on in my life. And I headed to America and started university there and kind of got onto this um, treadmill, uh, you could say, of, of climbing climbing a ladder of whatever that looked like, trying to uh, tick all of the boxes that I thought made me successful in my life and getting the, the right degrees and then entering into the world of investment banking. I lived in the States for a while and then moved to London and joined Merrill Lynch and became... <clears throat> you know, a, 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 a young woman in the banking world, which was which was an experience in itself. And really, if I asked myself honestly, I knew right from the beginning of that career that it really wasn't me. And I had this little uh, kind of gut feel that kept nagging at me. It's like I describe it as somebody calling through on the phone and they're asking you all the time, are you there? Are you there? And you just don't take the call and you ignore the call, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, and there comes a time where you can't ignore that call anymore. And I definitely had that. I was working all over the world. That job was wonderful and that it took me to London, lived in Hong Kong, back to London, to Sydney. Um, but in my heart of hearts, I just knew I wasn't fully aligned with my essential self. I wasn't feeling fully expressed. I felt like I was being a version of myself that wasn't fully authentic in the work that I was doing. And at the same time, I was kind of carving out this career path um, in algorithmic trading and, and a, a very different world to what I live in now. Uh, and really, it wasn't until I had my first baby that I could make that break. I didn't have that. I didn't up my brave enough to leave the banking world. I had those golden handcuffs on and I felt like I can't leave this. And it was a story I told myself. So once I had made that first break, I then kind of threw myself into starting my own business early on when I had my daughter Bodie and I started a health and wellness business and Actually, I'll just rewind a bit. While I was living in London I and, and doing this banking career, I became a coach then. So I became a coach a really long time ago. And I felt like I lived a double life. Like in work, I was doing my you know investment banking. And on the side, I was doing all these things that really filled my soul. I had studied psychology at university and I was becoming a coach and holding these little workshops at my house. Uh, and then really... Uh, yeah, it wasn't until I left that I kind of started to pick up the coaching again and I started this online business. But what happened with that online business is I really just threw myself into this thinking, oh, just be an entrepreneur now coming from corporate. And there's some really hard lessons in there. And I actually realized you can't just follow your passion and start a business. Finding your purpose is so much deeper than that. You really have to understand who you are. And that's been a huge journey for me of really uncovering who am I? What is my genius zone? What does my essential self look like? How can I be most of service to others uh, by actually knowing what it is that I'm here to do? What are my strengths? Am I leading from my strengths? And that first business, I wasn't doing a lot of that. I was behind the computer screen <laughs> trying to do SEO and all this stuff that mm. wasn't my genius. So that was my first kind of 
hard knock learning experience of a business going, oh, this is way harder than I thought. And I had to also get out of this corporate mindset into an entrepreneur mindset, which was a big shift. So that was my first kind of pivot out of corporate. And I was like, actually, this also doesn't feel like me, which was my next pivot. And then I thought, I'm going to return to what I've always loved, what I read, what I consume, what I really gravitate to, which is the personal development world, the coaching. And when I left Sydney, where I'd been doing that business and came to New Zealand, I said, I'm going all in. I'm not going to be having a piece of mini pies. I'm going to go all in on the coaching. And when I did that, I felt so aligned with what I am here to do. I felt like I wanted to jump out of bed in the morning. I wanted to be of service. I had really great results because I was doing what I was meant to do. And that's when I realized that I could, as you say, look back and connect the dots, just like Steve Jobs says, we can't look back until we've (laughs) taken those steps. And I looked at all these pivots and turns and thought, actually, these are the core things you need to find your purpose. This is, uh, and it's when I created a program called Living With Purpose to really help mostly women through this group coaching program, though I have private clients and men and women. Uh, and it's just evolved from there. And every, I believe, obviously, every cohort I work with, I experience kind of a deeper understanding of purpose. And then I went on to study uh, the IFS, which is Internal Family Systems, which is really looking at our deeper programming and understanding how that can kind of either excel us forward or hold us back because it's all good and well to have a strategy and a plan and and to map out what we think we're here to do. But if we have a big program running, it's really hard to step into that space, as you would call up your brave and step into who you're here to be. There's so much we can explore in this area like that you've talked about. But I think one of the things for our listeners is I'm curious to know how many of you have been asking yourself, maybe now in the last few years, more than ever in your life, what am I here for? You know, what is my purpose? What is my role? I've asked myself that my whole life. I know not everyone's <laughs> obsessed with personal development like you and I are, but I think people are starting to ask those questions more. Even if they're not in business, they're just asking these questions. What are some things that if people want to go down that path, like meaning they want to, they're like, I don't really know if I'm on purpose or I thought I was, but I do have this nagging feeling like you talked about. How can they, what are some questions they can ask themselves or what is a good starting point for them to, as you say, you know, find their their thing in life? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I do have... 20 questions that you can ask yourself on my website that can help you to find your purpose. So that's a a great question to ask and something that I'm really passionate about because that, you know, I think it's Tony Robbins who says the quality of your life depends on the quality of your questions. So I think asking these right questions right at the beginning is something that you can start with. You can start journaling these questions. And for me, one of the key things when we're finding our purpose is to try to remember what you used to love, just trying to remember as a child, a lot of our clues for our purpose comes way back when we were a child. And sometimes those expressions maybe got shut down or we didn't follow a path because we thought we couldn't make money out of it. Or, you know, there's a lot of reasons or the parents didn't, you know, encourage that. So I would say, look back first, look at what is it that I used to love doing. And I have lots of examples of Um, people telling me, you know, as a child, I was so creative. I just spent all my time drawing and creating. And somehow 
that dried up and I didn't do it anymore and I followed a different path. So your first clue is looking and remembering what kind of child was I? Was I someone who used to like to move my body a lot and need to express myself that way? Or was I somebody who loved attention to detail or cooking or helping people? And and really that has a, a lot to answer for just in that space. And then I would say, really coming to understand what is it that I'm really good at and what comes naturally to me. And a lot of time we've evolved our skill set and we've developed, um, you know, and, and learned things and become good at things. But I think it's really good to remember and ask, what is it that people often comment on and say, oh, you're so, you're so good at that, or that just looks so easy for you. And often these things we dismiss because we assume that everybody can do these things. Uh, you know, it might it might be, you know, for you, Natalie, how you speak to people, how you network with others, how you connect and how you show up with so much courage. You know, those are in your genius and they're your natural strengths. And when you're playing on those, that's when you get to be more in your purpose. So I think looking back, I think really understanding your natural strengths and talents and also remembering or asking yourself, what do I love? And sometimes as we age, we forget what we love. We get so kind of into the rhythm of life and maybe parenting and work and, and we've forgotten what it is that brings us joy. But one of the cornerstones of purpose is doing what you love. It's like the the ikigai, you know, showing up and remembering what brings me passion. And if you're starting to forget that, then I would say go out and start to try some new things that maybe you haven't done for a while or, you know, I used to love horse riding and, and I sometimes think I need to get back on a horse and do, you know, do those things, even if it doesn't correlate exactly to how that could turn into a business or a job, take all of that away and just return to the joy. Mm. Uh, because I think, you know, even if you're not trying to find your purpose, we want to find more joy and passion. Um, and passion is a big part of our purpose. It's like what lights you up in your heart, what gives you energy, what what do you would you want to stand up and speak about, and you know where do you gravitate your energy towards? Where do you go to in a bookshop, and and really taking those clues in because those are what build these these foundations of our purpose and and really ensure that you are expressing that part. And the third part of you know the cornerstones of purpose is how do you serve with those things, your strengths, your joy, and your passion, so that you can then be of service to others. Do you find that people often kind of default to, or they get, maybe it's a stumbling block, what makes sense? You know, will it make, I've already done all this study, so it would make sense to follow that path. So making sense versus filling what fills their soul? Yes, a hundred percent. So we have, you know, evolved in a masculine culture to evolve up to living from the neck up, you know, I call it. And I'm sure you know this as well, where we are just in our head and in our thinking part of our brain, because that's always been rewarded. That's what's rewarded at school. So it's re rewarded in the corporate world. And really we've often disconnected with that heart sense of what, what, like what fills my heart and what my gut says is the right thing to do. And we've become separated like largely because of the societal norms and, and just the way the world is and the busyness and the fullness of our life and that we are all at capacity and feeling overwhelmed by the, the digital world that we've just disconnected to this thinking part and often overthinking 
And really to find our true purpose, we need to come back into our body. We need to come back into that heart space and often, you know, open or let down some of the walls around our heart to remember that, you know, it's okay for us to sometimes step into the vulnerability of of not knowing or expressing our true self because it can feel very exposing sometimes to to be your true self and we've kind of adapted ourselves away from our true self because that maybe feels safer for us so I think part of the journey of finding your purpose is returning to to your body so for the listeners out there you can send us a text 2057 or email inbox at realitycheck.radio the question Simon was asking is was around, you know, what did you love to do as a child? You know, as a child that it leaves clues. I would love to know what, what you loved to do as a child. And I think you're right. It does. It is great to look back that far. It's like it's a while ago for a lot of us. Um, but look at what, you know, what did we do naturally? Even that question you said about when you go into a bookstore, like what do you go and look at? And that is a clue as to what what we love, what fills us with joy. And it's never too late. I love that message from today. It's never too late to find your purpose. So never think that, oh, you missed the boat. Yeah, definitely. I I, I can attest to that. I really didn't find my stride until my 40s, I, I believe. And, and I work with a lot of women in midlife. And midlife on its, in itself is a time of great change within us. We are going through big, you know, as women, big hormonal changes and priority changes. And we kind of throw everything up and go, who am I and who do I want to be? And I think it's really this beautiful second chapter that we can create uh, in an intentional way. I want to get into IFS in a minute, but before I do that, um, I've got a teen, I've got a couple of teenagers and I know a lot of my listeners will too. And of course, at this stage, they're, they're going into exams and they're looking at, you know, what do they want to do when they grow up and all those questions that they get asked. Is there something in this that they can apply as well? You know, in terms, how can we support our teenagers? They don't need to know what they want to be when they grow up, but how can we help them to discover their purpose um, or maybe follow a path that is truly aligned for them rather than the one that makes sense? That's such a great question. I actually do uh, go into my old high school and speak on this topic to people who are in their last couple of years of school. And a lot of it comes back to the same things that I've just mentioned, but the three cornerstones that I do get them to consider, uh, you know, what do you love? You know, rem- and you know, they love lots of things at that age. And then what, you know, what are your strengths? Naturally, the same thing. And then how can you use that and what you want to create? But I think part of it as well as <clears throat> having the courage to trust that your child will succeed if they follow the path where they are in uh, their element or in their place of natural genius. And sometimes I think as parents, we get we want to get involved and shape what we think is the best path for them based on what society says is a good job. And it's really trusting them to know that this feels really good for me and I love it and I'm hungry to do it. They're going to be successful because that's that's what naturally comes to them. So I think having those honest conversations and uh, asking a lot of those same questions and you yourself as a parent have seen your child grow up from a very young age. You will remember what they loved doing as a child, (laughs) which isn't that long ago. And just noting that and noting that and bringing that into the conversation and say, remember when you used to do this and and do you still like that? And, And is what you're choosing something that you love or something that you think you should do um, to, you know, tick that life box. So, so yeah, it's a similar process, but um, 
yeah, it's kind of giving them that permission to choose something that that really aligns with who they are and really getting them to help understand who they are, that that personality piece or do some strength finders to find out what their natural strengths are if they don't know and um, keeping that that kind of dialogue of permission open. That's so good. I love that you go into schools and talk about that. That's brilliant. <laughs> what is IFS, Internal Family Systems? Tell us more about that. How can we find freedom and purpose through IFS? Yeah, so IFS is a type of uh, family that originally started as a family therapy, which was developed by Dick Schwartz and has really, that was developed back in the 80s. It's really evolved over time. And at the moment, it's an incredibly popular type of therapy that is working with our parts and it seems like very basic language but it's a it's a really beautiful way that we get to understand who we are and the parts of who we are and why they do what they do so for a lot of us we describe ourselves as oh you know we might say oh I'm just an angry person or I'm I've got so much jealousy or you know we talk about ourselves as this whole thing but really we, when we look at IFS, we have this internal family of a lot of different parts. Sometimes we feel anger, sometimes we feel joy, sometimes we feel resentment, sometimes we feel shame, and all of these parts kind of live within us. And when we do IFS, we get to understand why these parts do what they do. So it's almost like we have a number of sub-personalities within us rather than just describing ourselves as we are this, mm-hmm. we get to understand that we're a multiplicity of parts. And we want to come to understand these parts and understand why they behave like they do and how they interact with other parts so that we can gain um, the ability to not have these parts have a hold on us. We want to create the freedom so that we can be more in what we call self energy. And and self energy is who everybody has self energy it's who you have always been at your core and that is the ability to step back and have the courage the this this fight there's uh, I think there's seven C's of self but it's really that that place where you have the clarity the calmness the courage and we work with these parts from our place of self so Uh, I mean, I'll give you an example from myself of this maybe. So a lot of our parts evolve from our childhood. And when we are children, we have certain events or uh, might be traumatic or difficult times or we felt hurt or pain in our childhood. And we call that part that got hurt or shamed or it was in pain or uh, felt rejected or alone. We call that our exiled self. That's a part that never wants to feel like that again. And so from that part, we have these protective parts that come in that say, don't worry, you will never have to feel like this. So uh, for example, I remember for myself, I've, you know, I do the IFS work on myself as well, or have somebody do IFS with me. Um, And, you know, for me, I had times in my childhood where there was lots of unpredictable behavior. I had a dad that was, you know, a big drinker and sometimes things were unpredictable. And so for me, I had a part that uh, really wanted to make sure that I was in control of everything and I was the responsible one. So that's a part. Mm -hmm. That was a learned part to protect this young child that probably felt unsafe or like things were going to get out 
out of control and then something might happen. Okay, so over time, that part has got a really good intention. All of your parts, even the ones you don't like, have really good intentions for you. And that is they usually want to keep you safe. They want to protect you from feeling those feelings in your past so that you don't have to go through that pain again. And sometimes things will trigger it. People will remind you of that person that maybe causes that pain or you'll get triggered back into that old feeling. And then those protectors really come out and you become maybe more controlling or more responsible or more hypervigilant and overthinking or more people-pleasing or whatever your learned response was, these parts start to really play out. And sometimes we get blended with them and we feel like this is who we are and we kind of feel frustrated about them. We're like, I'm just sick of this part of myself is overthinking or being controlling or is people pleasing. Like we get to a, a crossroads where you can see it's holding you back. So when I talk about it from a purpose perspective, we can do all of this understanding rationally of what we want to do in the world. But when you've got these parts that are trying to protect you and keep you safe, they're not going to want you to make big decisions or they're not going to want you to delegate things or all of the things you need to do they've they've got this big hold so when we work with IFS we get to know these parts we get to know the part that um that feels you know like they yeah like they have to maybe think about things and overthink things or be anxious about things and we get to hear from them and understand them and we get to step into our self energy and understand why they are like they are and help them to step back so that they're not in the driving seat all the time, that you and your self-energy can actually lead the way. And that's what we call self-leadership. So that's quite a long, <laughs> a long summary of IFS. I mean, there's so much to say on, on the topic, but hopefully that can give you an understanding that if you think about that film Inside Out, where we've got, you know, all that, mm -hmm. the anger and the happy joy, it's like that within us. We have all of these parts that operate and some of them are like, like our family that lives within us. So that's kind of a, a simple way of explaining it. I love, I know I love that. And because I've often talked about how we have these things within us and we at sometimes we call on them. Like sometimes you have to call on your courage, but you don't have to be courageous 24 seven, right? Or sometimes we need to call on our empathy, but sometimes we do need to take a stand and put ourselves first. So it's like we, we call on the, I guess those are the more like strengths that we call on, but um, interesting concept. I've never heard of exiled self. I've definitely yeah, heard of I having, think... having traumas and things when we're younger and therefore they affect us, but that's an interesting concept, the exiled self. So I can see how we would need both. We want a purpose, like you can help people to figure out their purpose, but it's really hard to fulfill or follow that purpose if these, I don't know what they're called. Parts. Yeah, protective parts. Protective parts are holding us back and we know they're there to keep us safe, but when they are, and I'm going to use my verbiage, going into overdrive, then yep. they really, um, they hold us back. So how do we move on from them or release them? I don't know, not sure if we're meant to release them. How mm. do we, how do we navigate past them? Yeah, it's a great question. So when we, what I love the most about IFS is that it's one of the most compassionate therapies that you can do. We don't try to smash that part of, you know, there's lots of kind of 
firm-handedness of like, let's just smash fear in the face or, you know, it's the polar opposite of that. It's like, let's just get to know fear. Let's like actually have a conversation with fear. So Mm -hmm. we, when we do IFS, we can always start in the body and we get people to actually feel into what does this feel like and what parts are showing up and we get to know those parts. And then a part might present itself as as a strong feeling in our body. And we get to ask the questions of understanding, like, what is the intention of this part? I mean, Natalie, we could do work with a part of yours if you feel like. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do a hot seat. A hot seat. I won't. I mean, we'll do, we won't go into the exiled self because that's really deep and tender work that so I really encourage people to do that with <clears throat> with the support because that's a very vulnerable part of ourselves but just to give people an idea we could get to understand just a protector a protective part mm-hmm. and understand how we could just get to know it a little bit if you feel comfortable doing that okay I'm not really sure what, how it's going to go but I'm open to it <laughs> Okay. Okay. So even for you uh, now, you could just have a think about a part of yourself that might get triggered at certain times, maybe with one of your teenage children that brings it up, or uh, it could be a, a way that you know, something that you maybe like sometimes in yourself, the high achieving part, but sometimes it can also, you know, mean that you lead to burnout. We have parts that kind of can get polarized as well. But if you're just thinking about, well, there is this part of me that um, has been around a while and I am kind of a little bit tired of it, <laughs> or it does slow me down somehow, or it does hold me back a little bit. Uh, there is that invitation. Yeah. I mean, there'll be a few. One, let me know if this is appropriate and I can try to choose another if not, is um, I trying to do too many things. So mm-hmm. yes, I'm a generator in human design. Yes, I have a lot of energy. I've never been even close to burnout. But I do have so many projects on the go and I don't mean I'm busy. Everyone's busy. I get it. But I feel like I kind of shoot myself in the foot sometimes in terms of business um, of trying to do too many things, too many offerings. Uh, so would that be one or is that too um Yeah, it, it could, yes, it could. It could be. And this is probably a polarized part because it's also part that you really love about yourself and it's your drive. So we can have these two parts of ourselves and sometimes the part's like, I don't want to give this up. I love this about myself because it's making me achieve a lot and I'm maybe a high achiever and my, you know, I want to, that's a big part of my program is being that. So I guess like what, what I think because I'm that? here for big impact, it is a problem for me because I'm like, I know people say, you know, if you just focused, eight, you know, 80, 20, like 80% of your energy on one part of your business. Yep. That's so that's where I see that it is a it is a fault or a, something that holds me back. So I'm I'm open to yeah. hearing. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. So is there a part of you that feels like it's a little bit scattered? It jumps from one thing to the other? Or oh, yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So that that's a part as well. So we're understanding, oh yeah, I've got this part that jump jumps from one thing to the other. And I really want to be focusing on the on the 20%, but there's a part that's that's jumping around a lot. Would that be the part or would you yeah. feel like it's more? Yeah. Cool. So that's like what we sometimes call a restless part that's like wants to be constantly doing or achieving and it it jumps around a lot, but it does mean sometimes that it's not taking you to that next level because it's diluting your power in some way. Would that feel right? Yes, exactly. Not like not laser focused. 
Beautiful. Okay. I think a lot of us can really, uh, you know, relate to this part, especially in the world that we live in, the digital world, the scattered kind of attention part. So if it feels okay with you, can you just turn your attention inward, Natalie, and just feel in your body what that part of you feels like, the part that's scattered and jumping around a little bit? Obviously, we're not going to talk to all of our parts right now, but just we're doing an abridged version, just feeling the energy of what it feels like, the scattered part that's jumping from one task to the other or is, yeah, feeling a little bit restless. Is there a place in the body you can feel it? Not really, but I'm having like the vision that comes to mind is when my kids were little and you feel like they're pulling you in both directions, you know, like, mm. so it's in my, so I'd say it would be in my arms, Beautiful. meaning I feel pulled in this direction and I feel yep. pulled in that direction. When they were younger, it would have been pulled by them, but now it's me that's, mm. I'm reaching into this and I'm stirring mm. past over here and I'm trying to write a list over there. That's just an analogy, but you know, I'm being pulled in different directions, but I, it's of my own doing. Mm, beautiful. Okay, great. So just feel that in your arms, okay. feel that pull of being pulled in lots of different directions. It feels like maybe this is a part that's been around from when you were a mother early days, and it still feels like this being pulled from one part to the other. Just notice any sensations or feelings in that feeling, feeling scattered or pulled in so many directions. Okay. You can, you can feel, is that, what does that feel like in your arms or is it in any other part of your body? Well, in my head as well. Mm, yeah, great. But it's very much a back, yeah, like a, almost like a back and forth. Yeah. Beautiful. So just just be with that back and mm -hmm. forth part of yourself that feels like back and forth. It's also up in the head because also there's a part that's thinking, I'm doing this live, so we've got a thinking part coming on line here because we're doing a live show naturally. So we're going to just thank the thinking part for showing up. And we're just going to come back into the arms and we're just going to feel what that part feels like, the back and forth, the movement, and just notice if there's there's any emotion or feeling with that part of your body. Yeah, my arms are my sh predominantly shoulders, and I feel like they're almost not pulsating, but kind of back. It is this back and forth, like kind of like a rocking. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. So just um, observing that part and maybe just, just trying to get to know it a little bit better, Natalie, and asking like, what does that part want you to know? Just ask that part what it would like you to know. Maybe you can step outside it and just ask it what it would like you to know. I'm not sure. That's perfectly, that's also a part. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a part that sometimes doesn't know that wants us to, to acknowledge it as well. So just thank that part for coming in. And, and that's another protective part. So just say thank you to that part and maybe just ask it a different question. Ask these arms that are getting pulled another question, which might be what is its intention for you? Okay. I'm going to ask it out loud, see if that helps. Yeah. 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 What is, what is the intention? What is the, what is the what intention? What is your intention for me? What is your intention yeah. for me? Hmm. And just trusting whatever comes forward is the right answer. I'm not really having thoughts, but like I feel now that the movement is kind of going forward back more before mm -hmm. it was side to side. And now when mm -hmm. I actually put, move my arms, I put them both down at my sides, uh, but I am sitting down um, mm. and it, yeah. Beautiful. So it's just a different movement. So it's a, it, this part wants to move you forward, but hold you back. Could mm -hmm. that be, could that mm -hmm. 
makes sense for you. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm going into my cerebral as I do, (laughs) uh, because I've had frozen shoulder over the last almost, Mm -hmm. actually, it was October last year. So literally a year ago. Um, Mm. So that's interesting that when you asked me the initial question, my answer was arms. I wasn't thinking about Mm, pain or, or limited mobility. But yeah, so that's interesting. Mm. Do you want to keep going or do you do you feel like this is kind of difficult? I'm, no, it's live? not difficult. I'm just wary of, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. It's like, it's an interesting listening for our listeners with a bunch of blank air, but that's okay. Yeah, that's that's perfectly okay. And and you know what, when we do do IFS, there is a lot of blank air because we're yeah, actually getting to, to know, allow the space. To allow that space of just getting to know these parts a little bit more and understand, you know, what, what are they there for? What is their intention? And, and just trying to understand and also going, how, how do you feel towards this part? How do you feel towards this part that's moving back and forth or pulling side to side uh, how, at the part that feels scattered? I, I mean, how do you feel towards that? I think a bit judgy, like judgy in the sense that it's like, mm-hmm. um, I, f- I feel like I, I know I'm, I'm trying to do too many things. I'm used to doing too many things. I know it could be more effective and have more impact if I did less or laser focus my thoughts. So it's kind of like, well, the answer is right there. Mm, (laughs) Um, But I am not willing to let things go. And that's an interesting phrasing because letting things go, usually you're holding them in your hands, right? Mm, Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So let's just ask that part, just turning toward that part. And you might get a sense of it maybe being outside of you or a shape or a movement. Just ask that part, what is it afraid would happen? if it didn't do what it does, if it didn't keep across everything or in every direction, ask it what sort of afraid would happen. It's hard to know how much is just my brain working on it, but it was like mm. they wouldn't get done as kind of came in. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah, and then we asked what would happen if it didn't get done. Right, okay, so peeling back the onion like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if we can keep going and going and going, but um, yeah, you you know, it is it is the deeper work and it takes quite a lot of, you know, vulnerability to go into those parts and understand them. And sometimes we feel resistance to letting them go because they're also serving us as making us capable and enabling us to manage our lives in a certain way in the world. So it's that unfolding and getting to know. And, and over time, we can start to understand that it's probably got a really good intention for you. But it's also probably quite exhausted from doing this in this way. If we keep diving in, it would probably start to speak to you and share that it's quite tired. And then we get to come in with that self-energy and get to actually show it that compassion and understanding and, and let it maybe unburden some of the things that it's been carrying. And, and that's yeah, that's kind of the work that we we do in a process of, of really going, what is it that they're trying to protect And how can we unburden them and update them because they've got frozen back in time when they believe that they had to be everyone to every, you know, everyone to every one, (laughs) whatever you say. (laughs) Everything to Um, everyone. Everything to everyone, sorry. And that that was a, you know, we it was our responsibility to be across everything. And we try to understand where does that come from and why when did it decide that and how old is this part? And then we start to to realize that this part's been really busy being across everything for a long time and maybe up in the head thinking about everything as well. And we can start to track back and understand what is the exile part that it's trying to protect you from. And maybe it's a time in the past where as a child you believed I have to be across everything or I have to be the overachiever or high achiever. I have to make somebody proud. And if I don't, what will happen? So there's lots of 
different avenues that we get to look at these parts from. Um, and it's it's really just like you say, peeling back the onion, but doing it in a really compassionate mm. way. That's like the parts that we sometimes hate about ourselves actually have worked so hard to make us um, adapt to things that we had to survive or to make us feel safe or to make us operate in the world in the way we do. I actually think a lot of listeners will be able to relate to that because even if, let's say, they're in a corporate job and they have all this responsibility and they're thinking, well, I can't possibly delegate this because, you know, I need to be across, you know, it's it's the same thing. Or even like a mom at home and she's like, oh, I need to do all these things. And so there might be a different scenario, but I see what you're saying. So it's like looking at where does that come from and what if, what would happen if you did let that thing go? And it's interesting to look at my strategy because usually what I do is I'll let a few things go or I'll get bored of them, to be honest. And then I'll... Um, and then I'll start something new. And it's like, I'm just as busy. I'm just doing a variation of what I did before. But it, it, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to that. But it's, you know, a big part of IFS is that curiosity of, mm. of and you use that word strategy, because we actually have learned these strategies of, of how to to work in the world and a lot mm -hmm. of them are really serving us like part of what you that part is also what has made you so successful you know as we mentioned but it's just when it feels like I can't ever stop or I can't ever rest or I can't ever just focus on one thing then we just want to understand what what is that part feeling we and we get to talk to it more and uncover it more and give it the space and let it be noticed and we start that conversation and you know as we dive deeper into the child part which we won't do here but you get to come in with that self-energy and maybe speak to that younger part in a way that they were never spoken to or acknowledged or seen or heard and you get to be you know that kind of what we call reparented person for them where they get to have something validated for them or made true a new truth come through so it's it's very gentle but it's very powerful yeah mm -hmm. definitely powerful work and I'm sure that um a lot of our listeners if they've been listening to my show for a while we've been going six months we we do talk about stuff like this but for some listeners it is very new like they'll be like what is this you know going back to your when you're younger and thinking about things that so it'll be new for some people but it's so important to do because it helps us move forward yeah, and just remembering that about 70 to 80% of our beliefs are formed in those first seven years of childhood. So a lot of us think, oh, that didn't it didn't have an effect on me. That was fine. I had perfect parents. Nothing in my childhood happened. But we do have experiences where our sometimes our emotional needs are not met. Mm -hmm. And we do create beliefs about ourselves. And they also can show up as parts that protect us from some of those, those feelings as we grow up. Mm, so mm. true. I, it's interesting. I mean, I've done a bit of work around this, but the scenario that often comes in for me is I don't know how old I was. And I was so upset at my birthday and I hid under the table and when because the cool girls left my party to go see this boy down the street. And it's like, I look at it and go, oh my God, Nat, look at what you do. Like you started a business where everyone's invited to the party. <laughs> everyone's included, like no one's left out. And even when I go, when I, and I, I do a networking business, like I help people could connect it's so interesting. Once we start to look at ourselves, we can look and understand how we behave. And it sometimes works really well and it's worked out well for us, but there's always going to be something there. It's like, okay, well, what is that about? And, and how can I work through it? So yes, I, I really love that point. Yeah. Because often we do find the gold and the grit, I call mm -hmm. it, which means that sometimes these things that happen to us or we experience 
they can feel like very bad things and they can obviously we don't underestimate the impact of that but we can often create behaviors that are positive behaviors from that experience you know if you had a parent that was very detached or unkind you might in your parenting skills become a parent who is incredibly loving and connected and and parent in a different way so often we can course correct uh so yeah just like just like you have in your business yeah and I mean sometimes it serves us but then when we do too much of it it can go into overdrive and then it becomes a little bit of a weakness exactly exactly and yeah, and overachieving is a beautiful example of that where, you know, we it served us to a point and it makes us strive, which is part of what we call a manager part that makes us appear like we've got it all together and in control and can do everything. But when we push too far in that direction and we start to feel exhausted or abandoned parts of ourselves in the process, that's when it's gone too far and is out of balance and we got, want to understand why that is. And I can see how that brings us back to where we started with the purpose, because I guess sometimes if people are doing things because of a, the overachieving or wanting to be seen or, or whatever it is, and then it's like, but now then they realize they don't even love what they're doing, mm. you know, or, or they fall and maybe they fall out of love, in love with it. Maybe they used to love it. And then it's like revisiting those three questions you started us with, you know, what do you love to do? What are your strengths? How can you use that to be of service? So I mm. feel like we're kind of coming full circle again. Absolutely. Yeah. These are the, often our parts have created our career path because mm-hmm. we, our parts think that we have to have it all together in this way and they're protecting us from feeling rejected or unsafe or one of those feelings. So you can see how the parts part comes in, but yeah, returning to the cornerstones and, and really understanding who you are. And when I say that, it means yes, understanding who you are, what you love, what you're good at, but also understand your program, understand the, the, the wonderful parts of your program that have propelled you forward and made you who you are, like your story that you shared, but also understand the shortcomings of your program, the limitations, the parts that feel like contractions in the way that you show up and understand that, you know, they are playing a role and how can we maybe help them to step back to give you that freedom to go to that next level? It's so valuable to ask these questions. Definitely. Um, thank you for that. Before we move on to the last questions that I ask all of my guests, is there anything else you want to say about IFS or are there certain um, questions that come up a lot, you know, with these groups that you run and people you work with? Mm. Uh, yeah, I would just say, you know, work with somebody who is a qualified practitioner or a therapist and this, you know, to start off is probably a good idea if you're wanting to do some of the deeper work. But what I also love about IFS is that it's something that you can continue doing on your own. It's a lot of self-relating. It's a lot of really starting to have these inner dialogues with parts of yourself that you've maybe never shown any attention towards. So it's a beautiful practice that you can bring in and start to get curious about these parts rather than hating them or thinking they're bad parts of yourself that you act, you know, in an angry way or you can be mean or, uh, you know, sometimes we, we have a real thing that they're bad. But actually what we, I want you to take is that we just want to understand why they do what they do and that they're, as Dick Schwartz says, there are no bad parts. Mm. So it's just, it's really understanding the wholeness of who you are. Mm. And how they, they help us to f- express who we are rather than shutting down some parts of us that we would think are bad and wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've all, we can all relate to that over the past three years, <laughs> I imagine. 
Yes, 100%. What is one thing that you've done in the past year where you truly upped your brave? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I I kind of have two things that I've been thinking about. I mean, one is more of an obvious one where I launched my first uh, business program. And I've obviously done years of personal development, but a lot of people were coming to me for business coaching and uh, asking me if I would run a program. And I had to up my brave and go, okay, I'm going to create a whole new program. And I think, as you know, launching anything new uh, for the first time is a lot of upping your brave. But um, I would say probably more than delivering is the courage to not deliver for me has happened in this quarter. And I think sometimes it's those things that we feel most afraid of, of maybe resting or stopping or not delivering for me feels way harder than to keep on the delivery or, you know, showing up and, and working hard. And I really made a commitment to myself this quarter not to launch one of my bigger programs. And that's taken a lot of courage to stop and to say, I'm going to give myself the space to really sit in strategy, to really give my space the time to connect back into that heart space, to connect back into my gut feel, to think, you know, what is it I want to create in this year ahead? And that for me feels more courageous and uncomfortable mm-hmm. than throwing myself into creation mode so that's um a strange kind of courage (laughs) if that makes sense it's great it's amazing you know I had someone a couple of months ago and I asked this question as I do and he said going out to a restaurant you know and eating a meal comfortably by myself Mm -hmm. that was his example so upping your brave exactly doesn't have to be doing some monumental thing and sometimes it's not taking what I would call empowered action it's actually giving yourself permission to rest and to not launch or (laughs) promote or deliver. Yeah. So congratulations. It is big. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's good. I mean, I'm adjusting to it, but yeah, I'm definitely, um, I've got a few little things that I'm creating, but I feel much more prepared for the year ahead by creating Mm. this space. Mm. Great. What about the bucket list? Do you have anything on your bucket list that you would love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with? Yeah. I mean, when you say you can help me with, what I really want to do is create this ripple of more people standing in the power of their purpose. And I want to really, I say ripple because if one person can find what it is that they're here to do in the world, and everybody has something that I believe they've been gifted with to share with the world, if they are then going out in the world and sharing that with others and using their, you know, unique essence and their experiences, their um, strengths, those passions to be of service to others, the people receiving them then also have a ripple effect. And Mm. that's what I'm starting to see with some of the, you know, people that I work with is now they're doing their purpose and they're touching lives of other people and they're helping others and and stepping into that altruistic behavior. And we know that when people are living their purpose, they live longer. They live a number of years longer from the research in the blue zones. Their immunity increases, they are happier, they uh, are more fulfilled and all of these things. So I believe for me, my my real dream is to have more people in the world um, really standing in what they're here to do, really standing in their purpose and working through those things that hold them back so that they can feel the freedom of being fully expressed. And I believe that that's going to have a real ripple to, to so many people and, and to kind of create that expansion and maybe more love and joy in the world, which we definitely need right now. 
Yes, I love that phrase, the power of your purpose. If you're listening and you know what your purpose is or you think you do, you can let us know. We'd love to hear. I can read it out on an upcoming episode, 2057 on the text. What is coming up for you, Simon? What is coming up in like, let's say the next six months, either personally or in your business? And how can we connect with you? Mm, beautiful. So uh, in this space that I've been having, I, I've really been wanting to help other people make sure that they have their most intentional 2024. As a coach, we really start quite early on preparing for the year, people for the year ahead. We start by looking at how do I want to complete this year? And we actually need to step into that completion energy and then what is our vision and then how do we step into the strategy and mapping that out so what I have is a a program called intention it's a small program it's three months with three workshops where you can actually really step into preparing your best year for 2024 and it's it's three 90-minute sessions I know that people are really busy at this time of year so we meet once in November once in December and once in January and we actually hit the ground running and make sure that this future self-vision of where you see yourself in a year's time is not just a vision. It's actually something that you put your love and energy into so that you can bring it to life because so many of us get to February and the resolutions have fallen away. The goals aren't happening. (laughs) You know, 80% of us don't follow through. So you actually have to prepare for your year and that starts kind of early. And first of all, it's closing out the end of one year and taking those learnings and review reviewing it and then going okay can I step into vision and can I remember what my vision is Um, because sometimes as I say we forget and then what do we actually need to do that so that's um, on my website it's simondenny.me slash intention forward slash intention Um, and it will be sharing it on socials but you can just DM me as well but it's a little container like a group coaching container that we come together and we really get you to step into knowing what that that next year looks like for you. Amazing. So Simone Denny is spelt like Simone so it's got the E there (laughs) S-I-M-O-N-E Denny D-E-N-N-Y dot me. Yes. Okay. Yep. And, Perfect. And then intention is the intention. program. Yep. Got it. Amazing. What about Instagram? Are you on there? Yes, I'm on Instagram. I'm Simone Denny Coaching on Instagram and Facebook. You'll find me there. And I post quite a lot on Instagram. Amazing. So if they want to stay inspired or find out more about finding their freedom and purpose through IFS, they can get in touch. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners today? No, I think probably returning back to what I said at the beginning is to not give up that you aren't going to ever find your potential or that you're not ever going to find that joy or that you're not going to feel that fulfillment or inspiration. It, it just, it sometimes is just that small pivot that you need in life to get more aligned with who you're here to be. And uh, it, it can happen at any stage. And, and, and sometimes your purpose goes beyond just your job. Your purpose can also be the person and the role you play in your family. It can be who you are in your relationship. And for me, you know, I've seen lots of people pivot in those different areas of life and really step into their why, which is what your purpose is. Why are you here? What is it that you're here to do in the world? Uh, And just know that that is available to everybody and that really includes you. So uh, it's often just slowing down and asking those questions of yourself and taking the time to be a little bit more intentional about uh, making sure that you are doing what you love in life. Yeah, amazing, because there's never been a better time. Thank you so much, Simone, for for um, sharing your wise wisdom with us today. 
Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. It was so lovely to talk to Simone Denny. In fact, um, on the day that we recorded, which was only a few days ago, um, I interviewed her in the morning. And then that evening, I went on to her group. She has a group coaching program. And I was a guest. And I shared my three tips to up your brave so you can be more courageous and speak your truth. So that's what I shared during a one hour. It wasn't even a presentation. It was really a conversation with about 10 other amazing women, um, some of them business owners, some of them moms some of them leaders um, in their own field. And it was really, really awesome because, you know, upping your brave means different things to different people. So it was a joy to spend so much time with Simone. And we talked about a lot of things in this interview where we are focusing on finding freedom and purpose through IFS. One message that came through loud and clear is it's never too late to find your thing in life. Let me know if that resonates. I really hope I do get some messages from you guys around purpose and finding freedom with whatever that looks like to you. She asks, what did you do as a child? What did you love to do as a child? And sometimes in life, you know, we're not feeling aligned with our essential self. And that is a good time to question or to remind ourselves, what do I love doing? What does light me up? So she asks um, these questions, ask yourself or someone in your life, what do you love? What are your strengths and how can you use that to be of service? So many great questions. You can find out more about Simone and, of course, her upcoming workshops as well. She's got some workshops, November, December, January, simonedenny.me, and it's spelt like Simone. So S-I-M-O-N-E dot Denny, D-E-N-N-Y dot M-E. Also, she has a podcast, Living With Purpose. I think I'm actually going to be a guest on her podcast coming up. Living With Purpose, you can find that on Apple or SoundCloud as well. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Simone and got some really great wisdom and tips in there as well. And maybe it's time to make some changes in your life, or maybe not. Maybe you're fully living in alignment and on purpose, and I'm very happy for you if you are. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. It's been so amazing having you join us today. If you're just tuning in, we've had three incredible guests. We started off with Jenny Kennedy, who talked about her healing from her um, cancer journey. Then we went to Erin McLaughlin, all about navigating psychological triggers. And we just wrapped up with Simone Denny on finding freedom and purpose through internal family systems. And I know in this show today, you know, in the past few weeks, actually, we've been able to go a little bit over time because Peter's away in uh, in Paris, which is amazing. I know he does his show after me. We've had a little bit of buffer time, um, but I'm not going to do a sneak peek or a flashback today. I've decided to do something a little different. You know, I love to mix it up. And I'm going to read out something that I saw from one of our listeners now, she didn't send this to me, but I happened to see it on her Facebook page and I messaged her and I said, can I read, can I possibly read this out on my radio show? And she said, that would be great. So this is um, just a little message that really resonated for me and I hope it also resonates for you. So it says, according to an ancient shamanic blessing translated from Nahauti, I release my partner from the obligation to complete me. I release my parents from the feeling that they failed with me. I release my children from the need to bring me pride so they can write their own paths to the rhythm of their hearts as it whispers in their ear. I don't lack anything 
I learn from all beings all the time. Thanking my grandparents and ancestors who came together to allow me to be alive and follow my path today. I release them from past failures and unfulfilled desires, knowing they have done their best to travel their way of living with their standard of consciousness. I strip my soul before their eyes. That's what that's why they know I don't hide or owe, please hold, or owe them anything. I must be faithful to myself more than ever. By walking with heart wisdom, I know that I am fulfilling my life project, free from family loyalties that can disrupt my peace and happiness. This detachment is my responsibility. I surrender the role of the Savior to be the one who unites or meets the expectations of others. I cherish my essence, my way of expressing it, even if not everyone can understand me. I honor you, I love you, and recognize your innocence. I honor the divinity in me and you. We are free. I hope you enjoy that. I hope you found that impactful or powerful. I just really, I really loved it when I saw it and I was like, I'm going to share that with my people. So there you go. Let me know if you, um, if that resonates for you, you can send a text 2057. You can send an email inbox at reality check radio, or maybe just private message me (laughs) up your brave on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening today, for being part of this adventure that we are all on at the moment. Um, I really do feel, you know, in terms of the global situation, which is, uh, you know, intensifying by the day, I really do feel like we are at the breakdown before the breakthrough point. Um, so, and it's more, it's more important now than ever to ask questions and to tap into our intuition and to do what supports us to raise our own frequency rather than like relying on somebody else or something else to change. Well, that's my view, at least. Also a reminder, please don't water down your wisdom. You all have so much to share with the world. Sometimes we, if we're ready to up our brave, to be courageous, to speak our truth, or at least ask questions. Um, I invite you to have a courageous conversation in the coming week. If there's anyone in your life and something's hasn't been said, maybe it's been swept under the carpet and it's causing you strife. Maybe it's time or maybe it's time to let it go. Um, I invite you to maybe send somebody an interview. If if you found one that resonated either on my show or, or another show or another platform altogether, but send someone an interview or something that you saw, maybe share something on your socials that will let others know that they are not alone. Um, and if you want help with any of that, specifically, if you are a business owner, then definitely you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Up Your Brave, um, or get True You coaching or Voice Your Impact coaching with me or join one of my clubs. It's all there on upyourbrave.com. I also have an amazing page, which is called Recommended for You, which has actually quite a few of my previous guests, but also a whole bunch of other people that can help you to up your brave in whatever area of life that you feel it needs it at the moment. Have an incredible weekend. Have an amazing day. And I will see you here next week on the Up Your Brave Show. Thanks so much, everyone. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR, Reality Check Radio.